Hello everyone and welcome back to The Other Castle. Oh no, it's The Other Castle! I'm Andrea! And I'm Tom, and we are both very scared today. Oh, so spooky! It is a spooky one. I am so glad it is spooky season and we can line this up with all of the best spooky things in the world of Halloween. Because this is a perfect Halloween season game. It is literally all the horror things thrown together into one. <laughs> it is. And before we get too spooky, I have something I am so, 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 so excited about. We got confirmed for a space at Level Up Expo 2023. Yes, we did. So last week we teased that there was a, another convention that was coming up and we hadn't signed any paperwork on it. But now we have signed paperwork on it and we are official. We will be at the Level Up Expo in Las Vegas at the Las Vegas Convention Center from February 17th through 19th, 2023. Yes, we will. It's so exciting. Conventions are so fun, as we learned this year. Yes, and as we just know, Tom and I uh, love going to conventions, especially fandom ones. Uh, he and I have been going to them since we were young, and... Now we're not young, but <laughs> it's really cool because there have been more times than not that we've gone promoting someone else's product or helping someone else with a booth. So it's especially cool to be promoting something we've created entirely and yeah. getting to talk to people. I mean, we've made some really cool connections and got to meet some of you at Amazing Comic Con. And we are so grateful for the people that stopped and talked to us and hung out with us. It was beyond exciting. So going to Level Up Expo, which is dedicated to gaming and not just Comic-Con and fandom yeah. and other things. This is a gaming-specific show in Las Vegas in February. And the Las Vegas Convention Center is huge. That is the spot to go. So this is going to be awesome. There's after parties. We're figuring out some cosplay right now. And we will be there giving out some sweet high fives. Tom's going to be signing salads. We'll, <laughs> we'll have some fun. So if there's any chance any of you are in Las Vegas in February of 2023 and want to say hi, you know, damn us, let us know. We'll be sure to be ready for you. And we would love to meet you if you're able to make it. Yeah, it'd be so super cool. But in the meantime... In the meantime, we got a couple other things to talk about real fast. We do have a new website up and running. You can find us at theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. And from there, you can find every one of our episodes. You can find some updates from us, but you can also find Support the Other Castle, where it will take you to our Patreon. Our Patreon, where we're going to be doing some exclusive content, some between-the-season content, because as you know, we got to put a lot of time in <laughs> to be able to knock out some of these games and dig deep. You know, we did a Last of Us episode that I don't think I get enough credit for, because I found out why they chose a golf club for the Joel scene. And that is <laughs> some deep fucking shit I had to go through. So, you know, it takes a lot of love and it takes a lot of time. So totally get that in the interim, you might want a little more and we've got a little more. So it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And during the seasons, you'll get early access to our episodes as well. Woohoo! Hanging and out with us early. All sorts of goodies, especially your very own Bioshock glass. It's like DLC you can drink out of. <laughs> But enough self-promotion. Let's talk about Until Dawn. Yes. So here at the Other Castle, we cover the plot, lore, and more behind all sorts of video games. We did a Flash game this season. We've done a lot of big games. This is a horror game. And if you know me, you know I am a lore whore for horror. 
Holy shit, I can't believe Tongue I said that. Twister of the year. One take, bitch. <laughs> I love horror games. I love spooky season. I love the storytelling when it comes to monsters and supernatural things. Mm-hmm. Not super into fantasy. Don't know why. But horror, I get the fuck down on. And Until Dawn is a seminal horror game. It's up there, frankly, with PT at this point for people. If you like horror, I did Outlast. It was horrifying. But the lore is really cool. And not dissimilar to this, we're up on a mountain. Shit's getting crazy. (laughs) People are dying. It's There's an asylum. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a big horror fan myself, but I have played this game, and I really, really love this game. That's right. You don't jump into horror, but I think it was made have been a freebie on the PlayStation Store or something because I think I said, oh, this is really cool. And I was like, Tom, you have to play this. Yeah, the free download for PlayStation Plus. They get me. Yeah. <laughs> these, these freebies really hook me. It happened with Wolf Among Us. It happened with this shit. You know, I'm a, if it's free, it's for me. I like that price tag. But this game is absolutely worth it. It's oh, absolutely so fucking fun, and it comes from a really interesting storied history of how it actually came to platform. Okay, so the game itself was released in August of 2015 on PlayStation 4, and straight up, it took a long road to get there. The game was developed by Supermassive Games, a team that was founded by an alumni of EA, so okay. knows what he's doing. They signed a contract with Sony Computer Entertainment specifically to be a second-party developer of Sony-exclusive games. So this studio was essentially used to develop gameplay to boast the features of the PlayStation as it kicked off with some little Big Planet DLC and other kind of party games that featured the Move controller. Oh, okay. Now, the Move controller is essentially a small wand that looks like a karaoke mic, right? It's Yeah. I'm looking at one right now, actually. Yeah, we have one for the PlayStation VR, but I remember these things coming out on PlayStation 3. Correct. Yes, and that is the era we're talking about. Yeah. So, Supermassive did a lot with the PS3, and using the Move controller's internal sensors that relay motion from your hand to the PlayStation camera which relates into movement in the game world of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I I apologize if that sounds a little convoluted. Essentially, wave a stick, the stick waves in the game. <laughs> yeah, it's its own little magic wand. Exactly, yeah. Karaoke mic magic wand, that's that's the vibe, and we make it work. And coming out like PlayStation 3 era, that was like their attempt to compete with the Nintendo Wii. Oh, entirely. How's that going? <laughs> the studio did predominantly do a bunch of DLC for Little Big Planet, and we know Little Big Planet. Their team is the one that was behind Little Nightmares. Little Nightmares, that's right. They love the littles. Which is, <laughs> they do love the littles, but it's so funny because Little Big Planet, their aesthetic is so bright and sunny, and Little Nightmares is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> exact same team and developing studio. So this studio, Supermassive, had some overlay with them in doing DLC that was very like, move the wand, and it makes... The little man enjoy his day. I I haven't played these. I apologize. Right. <laughs> I'm an Until Dawn fan. Did not get into the early work. And they also did one Doctor Who game, which apparently tanked. It was supposed to be the first of a trilogy, and everyone went, no one asked for this. Oh. <laughs> so they were not asked to return for the sequels that they planned on. And I'm sure they left it with like a good cliffhanger at the end of the first one. Oh, too. I bet. It's, <laughs> and it's, I'm sure it's the end of what, that Sherlock episode where it's Moriarty and Sherlock on the <laughs> right. rooftop, and it turns into a whole thing. This studio kind of floundered, frankly, and did licensed projects and a lot of little things until the supermassive success with its original IP 
Until Dawn. To your point, it was originally pitched as a PS3 PlayStation Move title and was going to use the wands as the controller solely. This would function as a player's flashlight and at times their weapon. So we're in a horror movie. Yeah. We already mentioned that. So this is kind of your, oh no, I can't fucking see. Yeah, Five Nights at Freddy's had flashlights. I get it. Yeah, exactly. A little different though. (laughs) So while admittedly this game was clearly made from the need to showcase the features of the PlayStation, it was also not just a boring game that was made out of necessity to showcase things in demos. People were like, I think we're on to something. Yeah. The game was an absolute love letter to horror that was actually designed to be a first-person survival horror with the backdrop of iconic slasher movies. So super spooky. Yeah. Uh, And not unlike Outlast, where all you're armed with is a flashlight and (laughs) you're in a first-person perspective going through some crazy shit. There's a lot of things. I mean... There's always an argument that horror can be derivative because of the genre and the tropes within the genre, but isn't everything. Like, get off your high horse. At the same time, they use horror to innovate every step of the way as well, and that's one of the things this game absolutely did. I a thousand percent agree. Everyone shut up with your philosophy degrees. (laughs) Development on Until Dawn started in 2010, so about five years before actually release, and to best create the horror backdrop, the developers hired Larry Fessenden and Graham Resnick, and I apologize if I'm fucking your names up, to write the script. Now, interestingly, Supermassive is a British studio, but they went out of their way to hire American horror heads, both of whom have worked and created their own horror movies in the past, because there's something so iconically American about slasher movies specifically, mm-hmm. which is fascinating because, yeah. We live in a horror movie here. And I actually agree entirely. And it's one of the reasons I couldn't watch American Horror Story, because to me, American horror is the slasher genre. Mm, and not necessarily the occult and the creepy shit. Yeah. So when I was watching season one and it immediately showed off like ghosts and shit, I was like, well, that's not what I'm interested in, because that's not to me what <laughs> American horror is. American horror is slasher genre. If I want ghosts, I'm going to watch like those scary Korean movies with yeah. demons and shit. Uh- entirely. <laughs> I appreciate the irony that it is American Horror Story and you didn't feel like it was American enough. (laughs) And so I'm not going to fucking watch it. Yeah, the most American thing you could do. (laughs) (laughs) Protest, yes. So this team have worked on a ton of horror movies, like I said, and they've developed their own as a team. One of their big projects was called Wendigo about a mythological creature we may or may not talk about later. (laughs) It's probably not foreshadowing. Right. And... We're very keen on relying on storytelling throughout the lens of horror, which obviously is what makes a great horror movie. Mm -hmm. To further emphasize their point and ensure the horror elements were effective, during playtesting, playtesters had to wear sensor equipment that worked similar to a lie detector test to track how scared the players would feel during the game. Oh, my God. And then they would take that data back and tweak the game to up the scare factor in some more of the dry areas of the gameplay. Holy shit. Or say that this jump scare worked, like, lean in. We're good. Approved. So, like, if you've ever sat in on, like, a test audience situation where you've been asked to, like, watch an episode of a TV show that doesn't exist yet or watch a movie or something, they give you this little dial while you're doing so. And while you're watching it, you're supposed to, like, turn it to, like, say, like, where your enjoyment level is. But this is, like, 
wiring directly into their brain to see, all right, what are you really <laughs> fucking feeling? Okay, it's not an EKG where they put them on your temples, but they had wrist guards. Oh my God. So the wrist guards would track your pulse right on the controller, which is also nice because the controllers have some haptics. So that adds to it of like, I'm tense and there's also something with sweat because you have so many sweat glands in your hands when you're anxious. And they were also obviously filmed, so you, they could track like, oh, shit, her eyes are getting buggy. But there is footage of this, by the way, on YouTube. This was a part of the bonus features of the game files. So you can just straight up watch it. And it is satisfying. It is very fun to watch these people go, yeah, I like horror, play a game. And then at the very end, they get their exit interview where they go, I would totally play that with the lights on. <laughs> I think it's kind of fucked up that they do not give a shit how you think. They only care how you feel, actually, in this situation. <laughs> like, how is your body actually reacting to what I've made? Well, good art creates a visceral response. It's so true. <laughs> what better way than to test it on an actual audience? Oh, my God. That's wild. Isn't that... Oh, that's the kind of care you're getting with this shit. Also, I want to say, like, you were talking about how there was some special features. That's one of the things I also thought was really cool about this game was that it came with almost, like, movie-quality special features. Oh, fully. There, It feels like a DVD menu when you open yeah. up the game. No, there's a very movie-quality to this game that I do not see in other games. Absolutely. Now, speaking of that scare factor, in 2011, so like a year into development, they hired a composer for the game who we've heard of from before on this show. Oh, have we? Jason Graves. Okay, what did he do? Jason Graves is a master of video game horror, and we know him as the brilliant, award-winning composer of Dead Space. Oh, Dead Space. The music in that is so good. So good, he won two BAFTAs for it. These fucking BAFTAs. I'll tell you what, they just keep popping up on this show, don't they? We cover good games. Apparently. Goose Game got a BAFTA, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, guys, this, this show's difficult to keep up with. <laughs> Some of them won't be 60-hour campaigns. No, not Can't all of them. Can't promise that. <laughs> Next week will be. Oh, fuck me. Jason Graves has gone on to do all of the Dead Space games, except for the upcoming remake and most of the Until Dawn universe games, also except for the most recent, The Quarry. I don't know, maybe he's taking some time off, but his soundtracks for the game ended up being about 15 hours long. <laughs> oh my gosh, is the game even that long? No! I was going to say, it's not that long of a game. But it is reactive to the gameplay. That's cool. As the player is closer and closer to danger, the music gets more intense. Just like in traditional horror, you get that swell and you get that anxiety as you know you're coming towards a jump scare. Oh, so like the strings start like getting faster and faster and stuff. Yeah, which, oh, so anxiety inducing. That was something I really loved about the Friday the 13th game that came out. That was really fun about it. It was like whenever the person who's playing Jason was getting closer and closer, like that would start happening as well. There is something visceral about the breathing in that game as well that I remember. Yeah. It felt so intimate. But, you know, that's made possible because of games like this. Oh, yeah. You know, Jason Graves, as a fun fact, he's joked about his name being Jason Graves and Graves coming to mind when studios think of horror game composers. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like he was born for this, mm -hmm. which I love because he was. He's a <laughs> He won two BAFTAs in like 2008, 2009. Nolan North had to get an honorary BAFTA after being Nathan Drake for like 20 fucking years. <laughs> 
I feel like that's your favorite, like, fun fact about the BAFTAs. Nathan! (laughs) (laughs) Nolan North was robbed. He should have had a thousand BAFTAs at this point. He's an incredible actor. He's an incredible performer. It's more than just (laughs) acting. It's in a mocap suit. I will die on this hill like these kids will die in this mountain. But that is a spoiler. So let's get back to what we're doing. Ooh. As Supermassive began development on the PS3 version, an entire cast was hired and art was started to be developed to create the world of Until Dawn. By GamesCon 2012, the game was officially announced with some clips of the game being showcased. And overall, the gaming community was like, yo, this is really cool. I love the idea of a horror game. I love that it's very slasher. But then the tides kind of turned when I thought, saw that it was a PlayStation Move exclusive, and people were like, I am not interested in buying a PlayStation <laughs> Move for this game. And that turned into just being overly critical of the game itself, of like, that seemed cool. That seemed- I'm not buying a fucking next other controller for this. Right. Are you kidding me? Actually, this doesn't look as good as I thought it was. People backtracking on their shit just they didn't want to buy the wand. No, it was a fully failed peripheral. Yeah, there's a reason it's not built into other games <laughs> as it is now. And the team took this to heart and they're like, ah, we're setting ourselves up for failure if we move forward, making this a move only. Right. Let's see what we can do to make sure we don't lose the audience due to a controller restriction. Because that's that's dumb. And it's really good that they took that to heart. Yeah, no, it was really smart with the pivot that they end up making. And the other pivot they made from this was that they took it from first person perspective to third person perspective to make it more of a cinematic experience. I agree with that decision, too. I mean, I get the idea of putting it in first person so that way you are a part of the story. Mm -hmm. But part of this story is that you're going to jump between different characters. Spoiler alert for what we're about to do. Totally. And so that already removes you from being that first person perspective if you're going through all these different characters. So you might as well go for a third person. Yeah. What are you going to do? Be like, oh, the blue flannel's Josh. So that's who I am now. And now... After these pivots, we enter the PS4 era. So as the PS4 got announced in February 2013 and then was later released in November 13, the team got to understand how the hardware and software would upgrade. And they decided, we're going to change a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you mention it, this is really cool. So the PS4 system controller is a lot more sensitive than the PS3 controller. Right. And there has this light bar that connects further to the PlayStation console itself that makes movement and certain other haptics more sensitive than the PS3 controller. It's just, it's a huge upgrade between three and four. And the four is a great system. Like, still fuck with that. Yeah, no, four is a fantastic system. The controller that came out with the four is really wonderful. It had all sorts of gyroscopes and shit inside of it to really help kind of navigate, you know, how the controller was being held and things like that so you could do a lot more adaptive games exactly and as they looked at what this hardware was capable of they were like we don't need the move at all honestly we can pivot this whole fucking thing to only need the ps4 controller and they were like well holy shit that solves like one of the biggest criticisms we got about this is needing a separate thing now it's just going to be the newer console we're just going to fuck with ps4 we're going to put it out with these specific haptics in mind and No barrier to entry. We're good. So 
From there, it moved from being a PS3 title to a PS4 title with essentially completely different gameplay because you adjust from a move, which is pretty limited, frankly, yeah. to a controller, which is very much not limited in the same no, way. No, comes with the system. And a brand new literal perspective on the game. And then they were like, fuck it. Got a new cast. A new cast? They recast the whole fucking thing. Wait, seriously? Yeah. What was wrong with the cast they had before? Girl, I don't know. That shit didn't come out. <laughs> so Yeah, you don't talk about why. Yeah. That's not a fun conversation. <laughs> so with the PS3 version, a cast was completely set and they were doing voiceover. But going into PS4, the team was like, look how fucking far we can push this. Got a whole new cast with a more robust ensemble, frankly, and they moved from voiceover to mocap. I mean, it's really smart what they did and the people they end up getting. Yes. So recast is a little dramatic. Out of the nine performers that they use, essentially, two of them were maintained from the PS3 version to the PS4 version. Okay. But notably for the better, they did get half EGOT, Mr. Robot, Rami Malek himself, and an actual literal hero, <laughs> Hayden Panettiere. Hayden Panettiere. That's Save the Cheerleaders, Save the World from Heroes from that which is like a 15-year-old show at this point. Yeah, you're dating yourself, yeah. but that's oh, fine. Fuck. She's also the protagonist in Bring It On 3, All or Nothing against Solange Knowles, but <laughs> no one wants to talk about that because I'm the only one that's seen it. Hey, you've also seen the Broadway musical adaptation of that movie, so. It's arguably pieces from all of the Bring It On movies, but yes, very good. It was our second date, by the way. That was our second date? That was our second date. Aw. Oh. So... Mr. Robot is in this shit, and <laughs> they got a really great cast, which we'll meet a little bit later, but that really rounded out. And bringing that kind of talent in, you know, Hayden had heroes already. She was already a very well-known person. I believe she's top build, yeah. just straight up, even though, you know, there are arguably characters that do a little bit more. Rami Malek was still a newcomer. He hadn't won his Emmy yet. He hadn't gotten his Oscar yet. He hadn't done SNL yet, but Lord knows he's aged well since here because he looks exactly the same. He really does. Good for him. No, I mean, they really scored big getting Rami Malek as early in his career as he was. Exactly. <laughs> but no, this was such a fucking win. Now, the two actors who didn't have to leave their posts are named Brett Dalton and Noah Fleiss. But they did have to still come in every day because they had to re-record and refilm all of their performances since they had to go from voiceover to mocap. So they had to work a lot on this fucking game. They have to go into a much more physical performance than they had before. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because they were hired as voice actors. So like, who right. gives a shit what you look like? But you go from voice acting to a mocap performance, what you look like is most of the performance, frankly, is they've got that fucking anglerfish camera and the dots all over to track your facial emotions. And the performers all do like exactly like how they're portrayed in the game. Oh, so yeah. it was like, you kind of lucked out that these are uh, six foot tall, nice looking guys. Um, <laughs> Could have gotten trolls. No, the decision to go to PlayStation 4 helped in terms of just the graphics that they used for this game because everybody looks like they're actors entirely. Oh, yeah. Rami Malek is not hidden. It no. looks like Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that is Hayden to a fuck in her Neutrogena commercial peak. <laughs> Homegirl is great. And everyone else in this is great. Yeah. So these performances were also complex because of a key feature that really distinguishes the storytelling of Until Dawn and makes it so special, the butterfly effect. 
Oh, and they love talking about the butterfly effect. They do like really shoehorn it in <laughs> of like, your decisions are going to change the night. Yeah, I know. That's like the point of the game. Right. You get a little blurb when you open the file. Fucking Chris, the character, talks about it. Fucking Dr. Hill talks about it. It comes up a lot. And it's like, I get it. We're two hours into the game. <laughs> now, tell me, how different is it of a system from, like, say, a David Cage system or a Telltale system in terms of their butterfly effect? The development team has straight up said Heavy Rain was a huge influence on <laughs> developing this game. Okay. So, a lot? <laughs> now, if you'll notice in the gameplays of Bees and Heavy Rain, it is pretty QTE heavy. Right. Even when there's combat, when there's running especially, and if you fuck up a QTE, your character will can just straight up trip and fall on its face and all kinds of shit. What do you think it is about the branching narrative stories and QTEs that tend to like lend themselves to each other? I think there's an element of what we're seeing with Gotham Knights, where when you bounce from character to character, you can't take your character tree with you and mm -hmm. your abilities with you. So if you just do QTEs, it keeps the playing field very level. Okay. So as you progress through different storylines, it's not like, okay, my fucking Mike is jacked to shit, has two guns, has all kinds of armor. And then when I come back to Mike, he is so squishy, <laughs> even though I've been pouring <laughs> 20 hours in this game. It's 18 hours into one character and two into the other. And it's all uneven. I think that the QTEs keep... A branching narrative, and particularly, probably more so than a branching narrative, a different protagonist hopping element to be even. Okay, that's pretty fair. I guess the only real contradiction to that would be the Life is Strange series, because yes. those don't have multiple characters that you're jumping in between, but it's also a lot less QTE heavy. It's more just choices. Yeah, that's more exploratory, very narrative driven, whereas yeah. these are adventure games. And when we compare this to Heavy Rain, this is a murder mystery True, <laughs> across yeah. the board. There is serial killers in both of these. You know, these are very apples to apples where Life is Strange almost feels like an echo of Firewatch where it's a lot of exploratory and QTEs here and there, but it's there's a lot of walking. Yeah, it is walking simulator. Yeah, and a lot of talking to people to unlock things and shit. That's fair. So as noted with the butterfly effect, these are branching narratives, and this game was really sold on how no two players would have the exact same outcome, which is very cool, to be real. I'm a sucker for that shit. I did telltale games in this season. I love that shit in my personal life. I'm all a fucking about it. Right. And similarly to Heavy Rain, Tom, you'll sympathize with me on this one. There is permadeath. So much permadeath, because there's a lot of fucking characters in this one, too. Not just four playable characters. There's a fuck ton of playable characters. And I'm making fun of Tom, because the only time he's played Heavy Rain, he killed the detective as soon as he possibly could, <laughs> thinking, this is fine, and then just didn't get, like, two or three chapters of the game and missed a bunch of clues. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went, how'd you do that? And he went, what do you mean? I went, you skipped a whole, oh, he's dead. Right. And then Tom was like, when did you figure it out? It was like fucking three chapters ago because of this clue that you never saw. And you're right. like, cool, 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 cool. I don't think I like this game. No, I love the game. I was just bad at it. No, you didn't like your game. No. <laughs> so the Supermassive team took their new cast, their gameplay functions, their hardware systems, and worked hard at Until Dawn and re-released an announcement at GamesCon 2014, two years after the first one, working towards their August 2015 release date. Now, 
As fucking great as this game is, Sony did not push too hard on Until Dawn because the first Destiny was coming out around the same time and they were so focused on third party games and they were like, good for you. We're going to do our own thing. I mean, the hype for Destiny, I was fully on that hype train too. Everyone was. Peter Dinklage. I mean, there was Peter Dinklage. There was the idea that Bungie was creating a game for like anything other than xbox at the time you know and getting to see something that massive and just it was supposed to be the rpg first person shooter mmo and everything and it flopped so fucking bad on its face (laughs) i've heard destiny 2 has fixed all the issues that you know plagued the first game but the first game was bad enough i did not play it again after that it was bad enough i can't come back after it i know oh but like I never even heard of Until Dawn until it was the free PlayStation game. Because Sony did not give it enough love. Yeah. <laughs> it did okay, frankly. So prior to release and kind of mid-release, the game was getting reviews as like the high 70s, low 80s. So like B minus C plus, which isn't bad for a game, frankly. Like that's right. playable. That is not a bad piece of work. You're going to have a fun time. A lot of our best games on here have been in the 80s. Oh, totally. And... You know, this is a, let's call it a six and a half hour campaign, Mm -hmm. ballpark, on average. So you're not wasting a shit ton of time on a bad game. No. After release, it was noted that the game was the second best selling retail game in the UK on its first week, right behind Gears of War, which, hell yeah. Wow, that's actually really impressive. In the US, it was the seventh best selling game when it launched. And at the time, it became the top trending game on YouTube in the month of August 2015. Wow. Which is huge. Yeah. Despite all of this, this is, you know, this is an overall success. The president of Sony called Until Dawn a sleeper hit. And they're like, yeah, because you slept on it. (laughs) (laughs) The game was nominated for a few things here and there, like nothing crazy, but it did bring home the BAFTA for best original property for a video game. Good for them. So praise for being original. We love that, especially in a derivative area like horror slashers, arguably. Yeah, and video games right now, too. Yeah, (laughs) entirely. To succeed in that world is awesome. Hell yeah. Hell, we have the Bioshock because of how derivative video games are. (laughs) And Bioshock is perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Since then, Sony has embraced Until Dawn as an integral part of its game catalog, obviously because of the incredible feature showcases it has, but also this is a good fucking game. Yeah. And several spin-off games and a spiritual successor have been released since then. I've played one of the like spin-offs. Oh, you did the one where it's a VR game and you're on a roller coaster and you're shooting shit, right? Yeah, that one. That was fucking terrifying. <laughs> well, VR is just too immersive. You can't get out of it. And jump scares in VR is just absolutely fucking horrifying oh yeah fuck that yeah i'm not interested in that i don't like horror but i love until dawn that's why i played this and (laughs) oh my god there were sections of that game where i was just mouth just hanging open at the shit that i was seeing because it was just some of the most incredible visuals but anyway that's a different game entirely (laughs) now you do like some horror you do have a scream tattoo that's true, but again, face. I have a ghost face tattoo, but I've, I'm part of like the slasher genre more than anything. There's a lot of slasher in this, there so is. it makes sense why you love this. Yeah. I love this because it's fun and also a lot of other stuff. <laughs> so before we get into the game, I want to set the scene. So the game is set on a huge ski lodge mountain in the Blackwood Mountains, which does not exist, but 
kind of, if we were to place it, should take place on the Alberta side of the Canadian Rockies. Okay. So we're in Canada. This lodge was once a whole-ass resort that was attached to, like, this big-ass spa, and they were built over these mines. So like what kind of mines? Cave mines? Salt mines? I'm thinking, <laughs> what do they do in Snow White? Rubies? Oh, those diamonds That's- and shit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's, like, mine carts. It's really cavernous. There's big caves that the mines go through. And then above them is just a nice, beautiful resort. So (laughs) what could go wrong? After a while, the spa area got converted into a sanatorium, like all good horror movie settings. (laughs) And the mines were eventually closed due to safety issues. Again, (laughs) horror movie. Right. And the whole ass area ended up just kind of going vacant and donezo because it's at the very top of this mountain and... It's crazy hard to get to it. There's no paths. You have to take a cable car up and down. There's no way of casually happening upon this place. Okay. So it's not accessible. The Washington family bought the area to just be a private getaway and turned the lodge into just one big ass house for themselves, (laughs) which is so fucking sick, but like the craziest rich people shit you can do. I was going to say that just is wild, crazy rich people shit. They bought a compound. (laughs) Now, the year is 2013, and a group of friends are all staying there for the weekend, partying. And now, I want to take another beat here to talk about the people in the game, because there's a lot of them. There's a fuck ton of characters. So we're going to go through that, and then I'm actually going to get the game started. I promise we're getting there. (laughs) So, number one, we have Josh Washington. Josh Washington, goodness. His parents hated him. That'll be... very apparent as this goes on. <laughs> he is 19 and he is played by Rami Malik. He is a silly boy. He does not look related to these girls and <laughs> that I'm going to talk to, but he is the older brother of twins Hannah and Beth. And he's essentially the host of the group as the ski lodge is his parents. Yeah. His sisters are Hannah and Beth Washington. Hannah is the older twin, therefore the middle child. So you know what's going on there. I don't. I'm an only child. (laughs) And she has a huge crush on their friend, Mike. And she's super awkward. She's figuring her shit out. She's 18, you know? Yeah, she's like an 18-year-old Tina from Bob's Burgers. Yeah, she's a fucking dork. Yeah. And her twin sister, Beth, is the youngest of the Washingtons and doesn't like to be alone. She's a little clingy. We like that. Yeah. She's super close with Josh and Hannah, and she's the first character you play as, so we will get to dig into her a little bit later. She's very skeptical to balance out Hannah being the more naive one. And Hannah and Beth are played by Ella Lentini. Love that last name. They're both played by the same person? Yeah, they're twins. Okay, smart. Then we have Sam, Samantha, who's 18. That's Hayden Panettiere. She is the voice of reason, and she is the most grounded, and she's cool as shit. She just has cool girl energy. She's fucking dope, and she's Hannah's best friend. I mean, she is true leading lady. Absolutely. Oh, entirely. Perfect for horror. Yeah. We love it. Then there's Mike, the guy that Hannah has a big crush on. Now, Mike is like the most basic hot white guy in any teen movie in the early aughts. He's tall. He's got dark hair. He's kind of a dick. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) He's performed by Brett Dalton, who got to keep his role from the original PS3 version. Okay. So he was one of the ones that got to keep the role? Yes. He seemed like he would have been. Which he's so perfect for it. Like his performance is great. I'm saying he's a dick, but that's 
the trope. He yeah. is an incredible performer, and he's a regular on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, okay. I know exactly who he is then. He plays Hive. Yeah. I I stopped watching after, I think, season one, but apparently he's great on it. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other guy that got to keep his role from the PS3 edition is Chris. Chris is a huge dork. He's blonde. He wears glasses. He has nervous energy. Everything you want him to be. <laughs> yeah. The other person I was thinking that would have kept their role would have to have been him just because he was such a specific character archetype. Exactly. He's friends with all the cool kids. And like if he took off his glasses, he'd be the preppy boy, but he has glasses. So we know he's read a book. Yeah. He may have been like a nerd in high school, but he found himself in college. He started weightlifting. Yeah. But he weightlifts while he listens to like audiobooks of Atlas Shrugged and shit. <laughs> yeah. And he gets really into his protein powder. Right. He's played by Noah Fleiss, who's done a ton of made-for-TV movies. They're, all these people are incredible performers and are working. And I just want to call them out because they're cool. Yeah. My favorite character is Emily. Emily is a mean-as-fuck hoppa. She's Irish and Japanese. She's just a huge bitch. And that is as <laughs> far as her character goes. And it's so good. She's the mean girl. She gets off on being a mean girl. <laughs> she's played by Nicole Bloom, who is a series regular on Superstore. Okay. And she also had a few episodes on Shameless, which I've watched every episode of now. It was my workout show. <laughs> I, I totally just made fun of someone for being like, you lift to Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, I ride my bike and watch Shameless. So <laughs> is that better? No, it's not. <laughs> because you are shameless about it. Yeah. And you know what? My ass looks great now. <laughs> <laughs> then we have Jessica, who's 17. And Jessica is like a bitchy cool girl. <laughs> so <laughs> to combat Emily being a bitchy hoppa, she's a bitchy blonde girl. She, her entire character is mean and horny. So <laughs> she's like Emily, but with more depth. <laughs> she's played by Megan Martin. And then we have the counterpart to Chris, where we have Ashley, who's the nerdy girl. And she has straight up horse girl energy. And I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but she's still friends with all the cool kids. Like she and Chris are like, we definitely gave ourselves curfews. Because we have to get up early tomorrow to get the paper or some shit. <laughs> but we're still going to get invited to the party with the hot, horny people. They get invited along because they clean up after the party. Yeah. <laughs> They're the ones that are like, babe, you have to drink water. Right. Uh, she is played by Gladriel Steinman, who is also a guest on Shameless. Okay. And then we have, to round it out, Matt. Matt is... A quiet people pleaser. He's a total pushover, like sweet angel baby. He's played by Jordan Fisher, who's also done a lot of TV. Now, before we get into it, like I said, this game has a lot of permadeath. And not only a lot of permadeath, but there are multiple points in which a character can die. So characters can die in chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 10. So not only can you kill everyone, essentially, but you can kill them in different ways. You can cause their death by triggering different events. And there are some characters whose deaths are inevitable. Right. And I'm not going to tell you who because <laughs> that's part of the fun. So while we go through this, I want to give everyone the most comprehensive version of the story. So we're going to play it out as if everyone lives because we then we don't miss any opportunities to tell someone's life story when to, leading them down another path would just lead into death. And that ends the story. And we want to get to the ending, right? Right. Yeah, we want to hit this shit. So 
I fully suggest everyone play this. It is not a difficult game to manage in terms of dexterity. It can be spooky. There are some jump scares if you don't like that. There are a lot of really great YouTube versions. There are a lot of Twitch playthroughs. Like we said, this was the most streamed game in August of 2015 on YouTube. There is a ton of coverage on it. There's coverage that you can mute if you don't like scary things. Although Jason Graves, incredible composer, give him some credit where credit's due. And there are versions that just show deaths. You can just look at compilations of deaths. <laughs> it's true. And it's very satisfying. So that being said, that's the story that we're going to tackle today. The other thing that I think is really cool about this game too, though, is that even if you fuck up every single QTE through the entire game, yeah, you're going to get mostly everybody killed off during this game, but you will also <laughs> make it to the end. That's true. You will get to see how the story ends regardless of whether like you get everybody killed off or not. You can end the game with everybody dead. You can. But you'll get to see what the end of the game is. Entirely. Yeah, there is. <laughs> you can't kill everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there are versions where they're like, no one sees Dawn. Fuck you. Right. <laughs> but we're going to try and get them to the morning. So with that being said. Let's, let's get into it, Goombas. Let's play the game. The game opens with a prologue on a gorgeous spot of the Washington estate. It's a snowy night. Everyone's clearly been drinking and partying at the lodge. Now, these people are like 17 to 19. The legal age for drinking in Alberta, which is presumably where we are, is 18. Although I found out that's in some providences, the legal age is 19. I was going to say it was 19 when I went to Canada as a kid. Were you a kid? Not at 19. Okay. <laughs> it's like, you know, when I was a child, when I was 20, and you're like, no, that's a whole ass tax paying adult. <laughs> we see outside the house that there's a figure holding a machete. Inside, the horny teens are talking about an upcoming prank. And Sam is like, this is cruel. But Jess and Emily are like, this is hysterical. Now, at this point, Emily, the bitchy hoppa, and Mike, the hot boy, are dating. And Jess and Emily seem to have some sense that he's hot, but they want to use this to torture Hannah, who has a huge crush on Mike. So this is already off to a bad start. Okay. Sam is like, you guys are being assholes. I'm going to go look for Hannah. And then Emily and Jess run and hide under a bed while Mike stands in the bedroom. Hannah walks into the room with a candle, only sees Mike and is like, hi, Mike, thinking she's alone with him. Right. This isn't going to go well. No. Oh, this poor girl. Can you feel it? I feel like I can feel you being tense about this already. I know. I, I, I know what happens. But also, can I just say, the beginning of this completely sounds like one of those high school kids telling a story where they're just like naming off all the fucking people, whether you know them or not. <laughs> That's why I wanted to introduce them first. <laughs> There's so much drama in this, and they're all so horny. <laughs> and to be real... They all do just kind of blend together anyway, so yeah. you're totally fine. The ones you really need to remember are Sam and Mike. Yeah, that's why I'm like, Emily's the bitchy hoppa, and yeah. <laughs> Jess is the bitchy blonde one. You can only tell them by hair color, guys. Yeah. So the game cuts to Beth, who now you're playing as, and Beth is Hannah's twin sister. Right. She kind of gets a glimpse of the strange guy outside with the machete and is like, that's fucking weird. Josh, her older brother, Rami Malik, is passed out drunk at the kitchen table across from Chris the nerdy boy, who's also drunk and passed out. And she's like, cool, you're useless. Yeah. Bye. She finds a note that says, Hannah, you look so damn hot in that shirt, but I bet you're even better out of it. <sighs> oh, that's so... Does come, that work? Come to the guest room at 2 a.m., Mike. I mean, I guess if you got a crush, 
Uh, it would work. Beth is immediately like, oh, fuck no. <laughs> Hannah's too naive for this. What's happening? So Beth immediately sees through all this. Right. So we cut back to Hannah, and she's just immediately unbuttoning her shirt. So she walked oh. in, saw Mike, and was like, what's up? Buttons out. And Mike goes, oh, hell yeah. Because, <laughs> again, just boring hot boy. Right. Now, Jess, bitchy blonde, who's under the bed with his girlfriend, bitchy Emily, Jess says, oh, my God, she's taking her shirt off. And Hannah's like, wait, what the fuck? I thought we were alone. And then Matt comes out of the closet with a camera who's been filming the whole thing. Hannah's Hannah's tits aren't out or anything, but she started unbuttoning and like you can see her bra. So it's like the intention is there. Sam busts in the door finally and is like, Hannah, oh, my God. Sam was trying to stop it. Hayden right. Panettiere is a girl for girls. She is a hero. Damn it. <laughs> Hannah is mortified, reasonably. As you would be. Takes off running out of the room. Sam is like, you guys are jerks, which go get them, Hayden. Right. <laughs> and Hannah rushes out of the house and into the snowstorm because she's so upset. Just crying. Cutting back to Beth, she sees Hannah go outside And the whole group, minus Josh and Chris, because they're passed out drunk, follow her outside of the cabin and see Hannah running away into the wilderness. Beth doesn't know what happened and is like, what the fuck? Jesus Christ. And they kind of go, it was just a prank. It was just a prank. And Beth is like, fuck you guys. Takes off running right after Hannah. Right. That's her twin sister. She's not going to fucking let her run into the snow by herself. Entirely. And Beth is just like, fuck you guys. (laughs) Runs off after Hannah. Hannah gets some serious headway into the wilderness, and this is where, this is your tutorial, you figure out how to use things, and, you know, there's a couple QTEs, and in the distance, you see a burst of fire, and you basically go, hey, that's weird, and then just keep running. I love how they just keep blowing by all these horrible warning signs. Yeah, strange man with machete, that's weird, but my sister's sad giant burst of flame like a fireball fireball yeah (laughs) but my sister's sad (laughs) you keep running you find hannah who is freezing and mortified and crying she just goes i just feel so dumb which like oh honey heartbreaking and then a strange figure who's clearly not one of the horny teens shows up and scares the shit out of the girls so they take off running this guy has a face mask and goggles, which isn't crazy because it's a snowstorm. Right. And if you've been in the snow, your face gets super fucking cold. Beth loses her cell phone while they're running, and they come up on this cliff in the mountains. The figure, like, comes towards them, and Hannah backs away and falls down and, like, kind of goes over the cliff. And she grabs Beth, and Beth reaches down, and then Beth starts slipping, and she's hanging on to the side of the mountain. Oh, my gosh. The stranger's flamethrower goes off again, and they are hanging off this crazy cliff edge, and the stranger reaches down to try and grab Beth's hand. Now, here, Beth can either let go of Hannah or let go of the cliff and try to save herself with the stranger. Either way, Hannah slips and goes tumbling down the cliff into the darkness. Beth is like, oh, shit. And then no matter what she chose of like trying to pull up Hannah or try to reach out for the stranger, this bitch falls. So they both go down regardless. They both go tumbling down the side of the mountain. The last shot we see of them is them falling all the way down the mountain into what looks like part of the mine shaft in the caves underneath everything. Okay. 
and they are completely unmoving. Just like you see their face like flop over looking at the camera, just Ugh. eyes just thousand yard stare because they're gone. And then we cut because it's a horror movie, baby. Now we cut back to one of the few interstitials in the game that adjusts how your game is played. Now, these sections are called the analyst. And you as the protagonist are in a first person perspective in kind of a therapist's office. Mm -hmm. The analyst himself is a man named Dr. A.J. Hill, who's played by Peter Stormare, who is the Slavic god in American Gods who loves to beat people to death with his hammer. Mm -hmm. He was in Fargo. He's in Constantine and something called Armageddon. Yeah, he's in Armageddon. He's the Russian scientist on the space station. He's like, this is how we fix things on the Russian space station. And just hit something with a hammer. So that's kind of his thing. Yeah, I fucking love him. <laughs> he's a great performer, and he's wonderful in this. He's in most Michael Bay movies, to be real. He should be. He's fucking great. <laughs> now, in this first interstitial, he mentions that nothing can change what happened last year and reiterates the butterfly effect because, you know, shoot warning. Mm -hmm. And your fate will change based on your decisions in the game. And it's weird that he calls this a game, but... Well, it's fine. <laughs> he shows you a couple pictures and he's like, are you happy or are you scared? And then he's like, all right, that's all the time we have for this session. And they're not like Rorschach tests. They're like actual pictures. For this one, yes. Yeah. And then we open with chapter one, 10 hours until dawn. So it's one year later after this incident. So the characters are between the ages of 18 to 20 now, so we're so much more mature. We're a little bit older. We cut to a bus that's driving through a snowy mountain road with the audio of a radio station covering the one-year anniversary of the disappearance of Hannah and Beth Washington, which I've never heard of, like, anniversaries of missing kids on the radio. No, but never. It's Canadian. Whatever. <laughs> And this is just a full dump of data that covers the abandoned sanatorium on the grounds of the mountain, and there's a person of interest, possibly for the disappearance, but they can't narrow them down. And the suspect they have in question is a local who's advised the Washington family not buy the land due to him being a native and warning of the grounds being sacred. So now we have native sacred land. <laughs> of course there is. There's, uh, this land is everything. Yeah, and... Basically being like anti-gentrification, yeah. which, mood. <laughs> I can't afford to live in the town I grew up in. It's fine. I was like to say, as somebody who grew up in Oakland and can no longer <laughs> afford to live there. None of my friends can either. It's really bad. As somebody who grew up in San Diego and can no longer afford to live there. Not in a million years. <laughs> but the police can't nail the anti-gentrifier to the case. Right. Because like he's just doing normal service, guys. He's just saying, don't build here. We see... Sam on the bus listening to the radio and then she switches to a video on her phone from Josh who's basically going hey guys sorry about the drama but I swear I'm okay he's not why would you be hey guys so I do miss my sister but we should go party in their honor it's the what they would want us to do <laughs> no it's not a party got them both killed you dipshit he says he wants to party like porn stars. Again, these are teenagers in there, and he's the oldest one at 20. Is he Ja Rule at Fire Festival? This does end similarly to Fire Festival, <laughs> where no one is happy, <laughs> and there are no bathrooms. And this sets up the plot, which is just 
The gang is getting back together for the anniversary of Hannah and Beth's disappearance on the family property, which is not something you celebrate. (laughs) And to be clear at this point, it's being called a disappearance because they never found bodies. There was no evidence that the girls were killed or were dead or anything at all. They're using the terms disappearance very specifically. So I want that to be clear in the lexicon as we move forward. So wherever we saw the camera see their bodies flop to the ground, they did not go after those bodies. That is the most information we have, correct. We, uh, we got the last glimpse of them, not anyone else. The bus pulls up at Blackwood Pines and Sam gets out alone. But as the audience, we see the same stranger with the machete watching her from afar. Ooh. She has to get up to the cable car station to get to the mountain because, again, super desolate. The only way to get up there at this point is a cable car. And it's fucking February. So if you've ever been out in the snow in February, it sucks. They are in the Canadian Rockies, which I'm sure is not easy to travel through. And it's nighttime. There's something about February cold that's colder than all other cold. Yeah, because you're over it. You're yeah. like, this, was, this shit was cute in December. I am fucking tired. You're ready for it to be fucking done by that point. And I love how normalized all these people are to the fact that they have to take a cable car. Yeah, like that's not a crazy thing to do. <laughs> One fun thing that they introduce in this section is called the don't move feature. Mm. So this is clearly something that they had partially envisioned for the move controllers that got translated to the PS4 controllers. And essentially, you have to hold your controller as still as possible, and the screen reads, don't move as the action prompt. And if you want to cheat like me, you just put your controller down. Right. (laughs) You let it sit. But because the haptics and the sensors are so sensitive, it can tell if you're shaking. So it's literally like, Hold as still as possible, and then it can trigger something. So you can run into, like, a squirrel, and as long as you don't move, the squirrel will, like, check you out, or it'll run away if you move. So this comes into play a lot. It's really cool. And I would actually say that's where this company's system differs from everybody else's in terms of how they operate, because, like, these QTEs get people killed. Absolutely. In a lot of instances. And it's because they come so fucking rapid fire and they give you only like a half second to think on them. Yeah. So when you get to these ones that say don't move, yeah, there's times where you can put your controller down, but there's times where it pops up so suddenly that if you went to put your controller down, you moved. Yeah. Just the act of like settling it down. Yeah. So like they really do spring these on you very, very suddenly. So if you're not paying attention... Yeah, you could end up getting somebody fucking killed. Entirely, which is crazy. (laughs) But it's one of those things that you remember from this game. Like, I remember almost all of the last chapter of this because there are some really unique elements that play into the don't move that are genuinely terrifying. Right. And And then also, I love that they invented this for the move controllers and they have a system called don't move. Oh, fuck me. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. So anyway, Sam gets up to the cable car station where she meets Chris, the nerdy boy. Chris has a big crush on Ashley, the horse girl, which is great. They're meant for each other. Totally get it. The two nerds are into each other. Yeah. Okay. 
Chris shows Sam a shooting range at the base of the mountain near the cable car station. And she's like, why the fuck would this exist? (laughs) And he's like, oh, Mr. Washington was into some Grizzly Adams type shit. But this is fully just a tutorial so you can so understand how to shoot using the QTE mechanics. But I think it's just funny that he's like, yeah, there's a convenient shooting range. Let's shoot a can (laughs) so you can get used to using a gun. (laughs) Inside the cable car station, there is a poster that is one of the most insane pieces of setting I've seen in a video game in a while, and it made me laugh really hard when I saw this. There's a vintage poster for the Blackwood Pines Hotel and Sanatorium for a healthy body and mine. (laughs) Who does that? So it's like for people that are visiting their loved ones that are in the uh, insane asylum. I guess. If you're like, I need a facial while my brother's getting lobotomized. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, my God. That's wild. So they get to the top of the cable car station and they run into Jessica, the bitchy blonde girl, who's now dating Mike. Ooh, so there's a new relationship now going on. Which is just so messy to be dating your friend's ex. And Don't like, homie hop. No, and clearly Mike has a type. He loves the bitchy girls. Right. And she's weirdly nervous when Chris and Sam get up there, and it turns out that Jessica drops the bomb that Emily and Mike broke up very recently. Ooh. And then Mike and Jessica have only been seeing each other for a little bit and just recently went exclusive. Okay. And Chris goes, that's stupid. I don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) And Sam's like, yeah, I don't care either. (laughs) Like, this is not our drama. This is yours. Yeah, Jessica's super nervous. And she's like, I just want to let you know that we've been fucking. And, you know, now we're exclusive. And they're like, yeah, who gives a shit? Yeah, we don't care about you two. We're not that invested. And she's (laughs) like, okay, well, I'm going to hang back and wait for Mike. And Chris and Sam are like, we literally don't care. And they just keep moving on. (laughs) And now we cut to Emily and Matt, who are just arriving to the lodge. Emily is the bitchy hoppa, immediately complaining about how cold it is and that it's creepy and that there's no bellboy. Like, bitch, you were here last year. You knew what to expect. Yeah. Matt is carrying both of their luggages, and it turns out that they're dating now. And, like, he's just basically, like, the workhorse for her. Entirely. (laughs) So, again, don't hold me off. No. Mike pops out and scares the shit out of his ex-girlfriend and her new boyfriend slash their friend. (laughs) So messy. And they're all like, ah, fuck you. We're annoyed. It's okay. It's just one of the 14 million jump scares we're going to deal with throughout this game. Yeah, this one's so easy. There is too much social incest in this group. There really is. As Matt, you can acknowledge how awkward it is, which is kind of nice to break the tension. And then Emily's like, Matt, go take all our bags up to the lodge. I have to go find Sam. And Matt's like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Your ex-boyfriend literally popped out of nowhere and now you're sending me off? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, okay. We cut to Ashley, the horse girl, who has a crush on Chris, so they both like each other. And she's using a telescope, one of those ones that you see at tourist traps, to spy on her friends. And she cuts over around the rocks and the forest, and she sees Emily and Mike in a heated chat in the storm. Oh. And then Matt rolls up on her with all those fucking bags, and she's like, oh, god damn it, what are you doing? <laughs> and then Matt looks through the telescope and sees Emily and Mike hugging and is like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> oh, goodness. So- This girl's got just all sorts of drama around her life already. 
All these people are so fucking messy. Yeah. <laughs> so regardless of being in a literal horror movie, this weekend is already a fucking nightmare. Yeah, these relationships are a horror movie in and of themselves. Back down at the cable car station, Jessica is still waiting patiently for her dick appointment <laughs> when Mike throws a snowball at her. So his first reaction to see his ex-girlfriend is to scare her. And then when he sees his current girlfriend, he attacks her. <laughs> Why are people lining up for his dick? Because he's cute? No, he's just kind of tall. Right. (laughs) They have a sexy snowball fight, which is exactly what it sounds like. And then they decide to head up to the cabin to catch up with everyone. I mean, the sexy snowball fight. That's just too good. So after the sexy snowball fight, we cut back to another session with the analyst, Dr. Hill. Dr. Hill recaps what scares you from the last session And now he tries to get down to the root of your anxiety. Now, this is where he has you do a Rorschach test. Oh, okay. And you pick one of two images that makes you more anxious. And then he cuts your session short. So these are just little interstitials to really drill down into what kind of character you are. There are very minor adjustments to the game, uh, but nothing plot related. So I don't want to get too in the weeds with that because it can. there's a lot of different things you can do. But just play the game. It's fucking great. Yeah, these doctor sessions are weird because, yeah, they do fill in, like, they do work their way into the story itself, but they feel very disconnected. They do. And, I mean, it's an interesting way of breaking it up so it doesn't feel too monotonous with getting into the hour one, hour two. But to your point, yeah, it's it's an interesting way of framing the story. But they got such a wonderful, engaging actor to play the doctor that oh, yeah. you are completely engrossed the entire time. He's so fucking good. His voice is beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's just a slight accent he has in this, but when it comes out, it's delightful. Incredible performance. It's the only Russian accent you hear where you're like, yeah, I want to hear more of that. <laughs> where it doesn't feel like danger all the time. Right. But if it does, you're like, let's see where this goes. Yeah. <laughs> Sexy danger. Chapter two, nine hours until dawn. Okay, so each chapter is like an hour. Yeah, like 24. They don't take an hour. Chris and Josh, the two older boys, Chris is the nerd, Josh is the main boy. They're up at the lodge with Matt, Sam, and Ashley, and they finally get up to the actual lodge itself to get settled in, but the lock to the lodge is completely frozen over. Because fuck you. Of course it is. Chris tries to hit on Ashley, who's just kind of miserable because she just like got up a full mountain and can't be inside. (laughs) And Chris and Josh go to have some bro time where Josh is like, I think you should have sex with her. (laughs) Like, there's no subtlety. You know, when you're with your friends, you're like, go get it. You know, swing for it. He's like, you should put your penis in her. (laughs) Like, (laughs) They're just horny teens. And that's as far as they're getting. Very direct about it, too. Yeah. And Ashley is 18 now, which is good. But. Whatever, I don't, I'm staying out of that part. It's mildly better. They're all still teenagers. Chris and Josh have to find a way to get into the lodge, so Chris breaks into an open window and tries to use a lighter and a can of spray deodorant to make a flamethrower so he can melt the ice over the lock and they can get in the lodge. The logical way to melt the ice, but that's fine. It's a good plan that for some reason works. (laughs) Of course it does. Now... The moment Emily walks in, she starts being a huge bitch to Jess (laughs) for no reason. Mike and Jess are sitting on the couch being like, hey, I guess we're on this weird vacation mourning our friend that we may or may not have killed together last year. Right. And Emily is just being an asshole. And they broke up. Like, get over it. When you're teenagers, I guess it's a whole thing. And that's her entire archetype is 
bitch. Yeah. <laughs> she also manages to slide in that she's got a 4.0 and is on the honor roll, which is a weird flex while you're claiming to be over your ex-boyfriend and you're there with your new boyfriend and you've all known each other for years. <laughs> and you've also literally just walked into the house. So she's a smart bitch. Jess says, that bitch is on crack. <laughs> smart bitch on crack. And Matt can either egg them on or he can defuse the situation. But either way, Emily shrugs him off because at her core, she does not respect him. <laughs> Josh gets annoyed and is like, we're here to mourn my dead sisters. Right. And he's like, Mike, why don't you go check out the guest cabin with Jess? And Mike is like, yeah, I'd like to have sex. <laughs> and he takes Jess with him for some alone time and so that Jess and Emily don't kill each other outside of the actual horror movie we're about to experience. And I just have this feeling that Mike really enjoyed this. Just having two girls pick a fight oh, over he him. absolutely does. Like, why wouldn't you just not date a person in the friend group? The only two people that we have deemed as bitch in the friend group are the two people that he has dated. Yes. And now they are pitted against each other, so they're just going to get bitchier. I think this is like his biggest wet dream come true. This is true. a turn on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He is egging this on as much as he can because this like gets him off. And this is half the group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone else is sitting there like, why the fuck is this happening? So they leave and then Emily turns around and picks a fight with Matt, her new boyfriend. She's like, I can't find my bag. And he's like, I brought all the bags you threw on me like a fucking pack mule. And she goes, no, I left my bag at the cable car station. We have to go get it. And also throughout this, she manages to be like, I hate your leather jacket. <laughs> she just finds ways to shoehorn weird shit. Like she's clearly mad about other shit, but is like, and by the way. And they want you to go into this, like, trying to save everybody? Because right now she is on my list of, all right, as soon as I can get her killed off, get her the fuck out of here. I love her. <laughs> Why wouldn't you want her to be alive for as long as possible just to hear the crazy shit she says to everyone else? <laughs> That's fair enough. Just for pure comedic relief. <laughs> like, she's just mean to him the entire time, and he's so broken inside. Like, Matt <laughs> is a full pushover. He's a sweet angel. He's wearing his letterman. Like, he just wants to be accepted. He's clearly, like, excited to be hanging out with the hot kids, right. like, the sexy teens, and he's just dating the meanest one. <laughs> like, at least Jess is mean and horny. Emily's just mean. <laughs> That's fair. And he is just a pushover to the nth degree. So during all of this, Sam was just sitting on the stairs watching them all scream at each other. <laughs> she's like, I am so happy I don't date any of you. Yeah. And she's like watching this, takes a beat and goes, okay, cool. I'm going to go take a bath. <laughs> we love Hayden Panettiere in this. Sam is the fucking best. Damn, it's this early she goes to take a bath? It's a whole ass process. I mean, I feel like the whole... Anyway. Spoilers. <laughs> so while Matt and Jess head towards the cabin to fuck, Matt does drop that he's the one that dumped Emily. He's like, by the way, I walked away from that situation. Jess is annoyed by even bringing it up because she's like, I just got in a fight. But she's so horny. She's like, it's fine. Let's just go fuck about it. I'll listen to whatever you have to say as long as you promise to dick me down afterwards. Yes. But before we do, you have to remember... We're in a video game. <laughs> so they have to go turn on a generator. Are you fucking serious? There's another goddamn generator? 
<laughs> generator shot. We seriously, we need something <laughs> for generators on this show because there are so many goddamn generators you got to turn on. Literally never seen one. <laughs> In my life. <laughs> okay, this one does make sense because it is remote on the top of a mountain. Uh-huh. It's still. It's still another fucking generator. Also, just to throw it out there, Jess calls their little adventure a sexcapade, and it's so fucking cringy. Ugh. A sexcapade. That's so gross. This was written by American horror writers, so there is going to be a factor of making them say icky shit. Right. And when you make them horny, you really got to like lean in and be like, fuck <laughs> it, we're going for it. What does an 18-year-old Canadian horny girl say? They actually also walk by some police tape that's still up from the missing person's investigation on the friends they brutally pranked. And Jess just goes, that's giving me the creeps instead of guilt, but... Okay, whatever. It should give you way more than the creeps on that one. Yeah, that should give you massive guilt. Yeah, this is entirely your fault that yellow tape is there. Yeah, but okay, girl. Now, the path to the cabin is blocked, but they find a little path through a cave. Jess leans on a gate and breaks, and she falls down into a minecart path down below. That's what happens when you go into a fucking cave when you're just trying to get to your room. She's totally fine after the fall, so it's okay, but Mike is like the fuck i'm just trying to stick my dick in her yeah so he goes down the mine shaft to help her and they're exploring and they're spooked but they're also way too horny for what the situation calls for like they are fully exploring an abandoned mine car and they're like i can't wait to peel your clothes off. oh my god <laughs> this is so not the horny. right place or time they're so horny <laughs> <laughs> this might be the horniest episode we've done <laughs> More so than Leisure Suit Larry. I was just going to say, because at least, like, he's just swinging for it. They are, there's a lot more consensual, like, let's get it on. Right. So while they're going through the mine shaft, they find a bunch of clues that is totally not foreshadowing. (laughs) Some of these include a cigar butt, and there are some shrines and Native American artifacts and dream catchers, all sorts of crazy shit. Because we are on native burial ground on top of a mine that is underneath an asylum that used to be a resort. Got you. Yep. (laughs) You know, that old trope. (laughs) Now, while they're going, there's a huge fallen tree in the path to the cabin. Jess climbs over it and throws a snowball at Mike. Mike's like, ah, you're going to get it. And then I'm going to fuck you. (laughs) And then Mike turns to make a snowball and throw it at Jess. But Jess is gone. She's disappeared. He hears her scream. Oh, my God. And then we cut to Sam getting ready for her bath. I mean, it's not a bad cutaway. (laughs) Hayden manager in a towel is not a bad place to go. Yeah. Now, I'm sure during all of the uh, mocap, she wasn't running around in an actual towel. No, she's definitely in a fucking... Ping pong ball suit. Yeah, the wetsuit with the ping pong balls over it. (laughs) You know. The hot water in the bathtub doesn't work, so Sam starts wandering around the cabin and gets into Hannah's old room. Oh, shit. Now, Hannah's room is full of butterflies, and she's got pictures of Mike, like, on her board of shit. It's got hearts with their initials around it. Oh, so she had, like, a little shrine to him and stuff up to her crush. Like, doing the most. And I feel like even at 18, I didn't do shit like that. That's something you do when you're eight. Yeah, I mean, 
even in your late teen years, that's that's really sad. She's a dork. She had glasses, which is, you know, in this world, the trope of glass <laughs> having sight problems means you're a loser for some reason. <laughs> like, couldn't even pass a vision test. How the fuck are you going to pass the cool test? Right. The worst thing is Sam finds a compatibility test out of a magazine like a Cosmopolitan. Oh, my God. And it's circled that Hannah got the test result not compatible at all. <laughs> <laughs> you need to run away from home or get a tattoo to get his attention. Oh, my God. Sam then finds a tattoo appointment card and remembers that Hannah had a big butterfly tattoo on her arm. Oh, my gosh. This poor girl. That is some desperation. Have you ever gotten a tattoo for... Oh, well... I mean... You have gotten a tattoo for a partner, and it was me. It was you, yeah. So I'm not, like, embarrassed by that, but this is just... She is doing everything for somebody that doesn't even notice her. I do have an ex that got a matching tattoo with me. I got a tattoo, and then a couple months later, he got the same one in the same place. And I was like, <laughs> this isn't gonna last. He was like, the tattoo will. Uh, <laughs> and he's not here doing a podcast with me, so fuck that guy. <laughs> Downstairs, Josh is struggling desperately to start a fire, but is very bad at it. Like in the fireplace? Yeah. Okay. Josh gets frustrated, and then he suggests he, Ashley, and Chris go play with the spirit board, which is an off-brown Ouija board. (laughs) The spirit board. I know. (laughs) Well, Ouija is like just a game from Parker Brothers, right? I think it's Hasbro. Hasbro, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, um, actually, let's talk about the branding. Yeah. (laughs) Chris is like, that's literally bullshit, and Josh goes... My sisters and I used to play this, and now they're gone forever. (laughs) So I'm just going to guilt you into playing with a Ouija board because my maybe dead sisters would have done it with me. Uh, Josh knows how to play the guilt trip. Josh is the worst. They're all the worst. (laughs) The only good person here is Sam. Always. Because Hayden can do no wrong. Right. Sam comes down and is like, hey, dipshit, there's no hot water and we're here for the weekend. Still in the towel. Josh is like, there's probably in the basement a way to kickstart the boiler. Chris and Ashley split off to go and find the spirit board. So Josh stops crying and Sam and Josh go off on a mission to the basement to get the hot water going. Okay. Reasonable. Down in the basement, they get the hot water going, and Josh teases Sam about how creepy it is, and then he tells her he is just joshing her, and I (laughs) wanted to punch him. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's a really good one. (laughs) It's not, and there's a lot more laughing than I wanted there to be so far. I'm very upset. Then they both start hearing weird noises and go to investigate. When Chris jumps out and chases them wearing a weird monk robe and a mask, (laughs) fucking chris like he's the nerd why is he being a dick he doesn't know how to be cool that's true he's learning it from the worst people on earth yeah (laughs) literally may have pranked some girls to death yeah that's the last thing that he saw the cool kids do is prank somebody into their own death so he wasn't even a part of it though he was passed out drunk with josh (laughs) so he learned nothing from it (laughs) he he was there peripherally but was asleep So it turns out Chris found a bunch of old movie props in the basement and was like, oh, I got to take advantage of this and scare my friends while we're on this memorial retreat. Right. So Josh's dad was an old movie guy, which is how they could afford this huge mountain resort. Yeah. This is just to give background. Mm-hmm. He did like <laughs> special effects on movies. Yeah. So while Chris is going through weird shit, he did find a spirit board. So he's like, well, I got my mission done. And Sam is like, I fucking hate all of you. I'm going to go take a bath. Because that's just. 
what she does. Yeah, reasonable. She's on a mountain retreat. She's like, I'm here to relax, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> I'll mourn with you guys, but goddamn, I'm going to get some chilling. Yeah. And now it's time for the analyst. Oh, once again. The doctor's office is starting to look more and more decrepit, and you'll notice things you said you were afraid of in the past session on his desk. So if you said you were afraid of spiders, he'll have a tarantula in a jar on his desk. What a dick. Yeah, so there's little things like that that happen. He dives into how you perceive people and what you value in a person, and then we move on. Now, is he basing these on the choices you're making in-game or only on the choices that you're making in his sessions? In his sessions. Okay. Chapter three, eight hours until dawn. Josh, Chris, and Ashley are lighting candles and setting up the spirit board, and Josh seems to be taking it very seriously for some reason. Well, he wants to talk to his dead sisters. They may or may not be dead, (laughs) but they're probably dead. The board says vaguely creepy shit like help and the word sister. So Josh is like, oh my God, I'm very invested in this. Right. Whether you ask if it's Hannah or Beth, the board does say yes. If it's Hannah or Beth, yes. Well, you can say, is it Hannah or is it Beth? And either way, it says yes, just to throw it out there. The board says that Hannah and Beth were killed by betrayal. Betrayal. Yeah, they're literally like, what killed you? And the board says, betrayal killed me. (laughs) And then the board says that there's proof in the library. And then the planchette, which is the little triangle pointer, freaks out and flies off the table. And then Josh for some reason, gets mad and storms off, even though this was entirely his idea. (laughs) Now, Ashley, the horse girl, is terrified and is like, Chris, we have to go look in the library. And Chris is like, why? What the fuck? Right. This is just stupid. I think Josh is having a panic attack or something and Ouija boards aren't real. And she's like, but what if they are? (laughs) I know. Chris is being completely reasonable during all this. Like, yeah, one of you is moving that shit. Yeah. And Ashley's like, but what if they're not? We are clearly a group of pranking assholes and not in like the jackass kind of way. Yeah. (laughs) In just the shitty way. Yeah. (laughs) So back on the sexcapade, (laughs) Mike hops off the log to look for Jess, who pops out behind a corner to scare him. She also filmed herself on her phone scaring him. She is a true TikTok pioneer. (laughs) We love it. She was probably doing Vine back then. Oh, you... You're dating it. Yeah, 100% doing Vine. Six second scares. Right. While they're moving, they run across a deer who got its neck broken and is clearly dying. Oh my God. As they approach it, you can either decide to like put it out of its misery or give it some comfort. Either way, it gets yanked off super quick into the woods by something they cannot see. And they're like, holy shit, tear ass down the road into the woods i do not blame them whether it be a bear or a fucking sasquatch get the fuck out of there mike totally thinks it's a bear (laughs) (laughs) and they finally make it to the cabin and lock themselves in because they're like holy shit if there's like an angry bear out there with a taste for blood we don't want to be out there right and he's like i have it all under control it's definitely a bear but now that we're behind doors it's totally safe Jess immediately starts complaining about how gross it is in this cabin and that it's cold and she needs a fire and mood lighting to have sex, even though they've literally been the horniest teens during this way too long hike to get to the cabin. She's literally (laughs) been like, I'm going to like flop your dick in my eyebrows. And then she's like, I need a blanket. (laughs) In the cabin, Mike finds a guide to Native American symbols and deities, which is absolutely not foreshadowing. (laughs) Completely not relevant to the story at all. He also finds a hunting rifle. Probably won't need that later. 
Mike is messing around in the cabin, like looking for shit. And Jess is like, I lost my phone and has a whole ass meltdown, but realizes if she goes looking for it outside, she can get eaten by a bear. So that calms her down. I mean, losing your phone in this situation would suck majorly, but I also imagine none of them have fucking reception up here. Oh, entirely. Like, what are you going to do? Just use as a flashlight? Calm down. Right. Mike sets the fire and smooths her down to her bra and underwear if you play your cards right. Hell yeah. There's no option for full nudity because this is not a David Cage game. But it is a PG-13 slasher, so let's go. (laughs) while they're making out a window is completely broken and it scares the ever-loving shit out of them reasonably so mike goes to investigate and it turns out someone from the outside threw her cell phone through the window oh fuck so she got her phone back well i mean there's that jess sees this and has a whole ass meltdown as would i she goes outside and screams hey fuck you i'm gonna go fuck mike now and it's gonna be hot Because she assumes it's Emily being a bitch. I mean, that is fair. That is par for the course for Emily. And like, I don't think Emily would do anything to help her. She'd take her phone and like make a bunch of collect calls or like send her nudes to is anyone up or something. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, throwing her phone through a window, that's not helping her. That's fair. (laughs) Creating a hole in the cabin during a snowstorm. She's like, and now I'm going to film it, motherfucker. Just shuts the door and is like, all right, it's time to bone. (laughs) And then two arms break through the door, grab her body, pull her through the door and out into the snow. Oh, shit. Back at the lodge. Oh, man. I mean, I know there's cuts like this throughout the whole game. They do do this like constantly throughout the game. These great like cliffhanger moments. It's so fucking good. Chris and Ashley are heading to the library to investigate what the spirit board told them to investigate. (laughs) They find a secret passage through the library, just like in a spy movie, in a bookcase, and Chris leads the way to investigate. I was going to say, or like in Clue. Chris finds something that is genuinely terrifying. Okay. It's a photo of Hannah and Beth, and on the back, in blood, it says, I will take them and bleed them like pigs. And rip their soft white skin off. Fucking 16 years. 16 years I waited for pretty little Hannah and Beth. Holy shit. Okay, this just took a turn. It went way off the rails, like, immediately. They leave and see a light coming through a floorboard. And they're like, we have to go downstairs to investigate. Yeah. There's also a letter lying around showing that the native tribe that lived in the mountains... Did not want the Washingtons to buy the land, as we know, mm-hmm. and make it their personal snow lodge, because what the fuck? Right. But the Washingtons were like, hey, how about we write you a big check as a donation? And they were like, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> that doesn't help when you bulldoze our sacred land. Right. Chris also brings up a wanted poster he saw at the cable car station and that Sam said she felt like she was being followed. So now Chris and Ashley are scared someone's on the mountain hunting them. I mean, we already know that there is that one person who was in trouble for, like, protesting against building there. Yeah. They hear Josh scream, and Ashley busts through the doors to help and gets knocked the fuck out. Oof. Chris follows her after and also gets knocked the fuck out. They are both laid out by a man in a scary mask and utility worker clothes and gets dragged away. Yeah, it's like overalls, right? Yeah. 
The scary man lights candles in the house and sets up balloons with arrows to guide them on a path. It's a great fucking mask. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's like almost like a skull mask, but it's got some flesh still left on it, and it's like hanging off. It's pretty great. There's something clowny about it, too. Yeah. The analyst. Oh, wow. For this session, Dr. Hill shows you pictures of the characters in the game and asks between pairings of the characters which ones you like more and which ones you like the least. Okay. Basically ranking your friends MySpace Top 8 style, (laughs) which I guess is appropriate for this era. Yeah, they're like, so far, who do you like in this game? Yeah. (laughs) And no one likes Emily. No. (laughs) She started so many fights for no reason and just wants to flex for no reason. (laughs) Chapter four, seven hours until dawn. Mike freaks out after Jess gets snatched through a door, grabs the rifle and goes running after her. Right. He uses the rifle's scope and spots her crawling in the snow, then getting dragged away again, screaming. Jesus. Mike ends up following Jess's screams down into the mine shafts, and somehow he and his lantern survive a 20-foot drop. (laughs) There's a shit ton of QTEs through here, and this is, to your point, that is one of these sections where it goes very quickly, and it's like, triangle square, triangle square, all this shit. And as you're kind of just parkouring (laughs) as you go through, and you can fail, and you can fall, and really fuck up. You make it down into the mine shafts and see an elevator shaft. Jess is laying half unconscious on the floor of the elevator. She fairly meekly just goes, help me. And then the elevator plummets down into the depths of the mine. So dark, you cannot see how far down she went. Oh, it's so good. It's so scary, genuinely. Because he just he's about to help this girl who's been trying to bone for all fucking night long, and she just drops dating for a few weeks this is so embarrassing oh yeah <laughs> this is not the way to start a good relationship <laughs> mike looks around and looks up and sees a figure at the top of the elevator in the mine shaft and shoots at him and is like what the fuck he tries to climb the elevator to get justice and figure out who the fuck this guy is yeah and he follows him through these mine shafts he ends up outside of the mine shafts back of the snowstorm and then he ends up following the stranger to a new area. Never go to a second location with a stranger. Or anyone. (laughs) Everyone stay at home. At the cabin, Chris wakes up after getting knocked out by a stranger in a mask, and Ashley is gone. He looks around the house and sees blood around the cabin floors and walls. Oh, no. Chris leaves the cabin and ends up in what looks like an off-site bar, like hunting lodge area. This is clearly where people went hunting and would leave their animals and stuff and keep other shit in stock. So I apologize. I'm not quite sure what the terminology is for a hunting area, but I think hunting offset cabin lodge storage areas, what we're going with. All right. Ashley is crying and screaming for help. She's begging and Chris cannot figure out what's going on. He can hear her. Okay. From a room above, Chris looks down and sees both Josh and Ashley tied up to a board with their hands above their heads. There's a circular saw on a path in front of Josh and Ashley, right between them. Mm-hmm. And Chris is trapped in a hideout room right above it. A voiceover comes on that's just captioned Psycho and says Chris has to choose who he will save. The saw begins spinning and approaching Josh and Ashley as they both start sobbing and begging to be left alive. And it, like it's a full-on trolley problem. It is entirely, and it's like, 
it's saw, which is ironic because it's a right. saw. Like it's fucking crazy, and it happens so quickly. Oh, and uh, again, this entire game is just every horror franchise. It's so good. And they really do a good job of incorporating different franchises at different moments. Oh, yeah. No, there's so much homage in it, but it never feels too derivative. It more, no. It always feels very honorable and very like, oh, wow, I see where you pulled that. And like, that's a great element to pull. This feels like a collage mm-hmm. of excellent horror. Yeah, very much so. Chris is terrified immediately says he needs a second and has to make a choice to either save or kill Josh or Ashley. Right. They are both begging for their lives, and no matter what he chooses, the blade heads towards Josh and cuts him in half. Just, oh, there's so much just blood and fucking guts just flying everywhere, and he just falls over dead. He screams while the blade is cutting into him. The blood is going everywhere, including all over Ashley, who's right right next to him. And we see his legs tear and come apart with his guts hanging out from his torso and out of his legs. The door keeping Chris away opens automatically, and he takes a sobbing Ashley away from the gruesome scene. Ashley catches a glimpse of Josh cut in half and just wails in pain. Chris takes her, and they fucking run. As you should. Outside in the snow, they are sobbing, covered in blood. They run into Emily and Matt, who are terrified. Mm -hmm. Chris tells them that Josh is dead and that a maniac is out to get them. And there was a saw and they had to save Ashley and all this shit. Chris starts sobbing that it's his fault and he killed his best friend. Emily takes charge and says they need to go get help. Yeah. Which the only helpful thing she said all night. <laughs> Entirely, but they're also up on this huge fucking mountain that you can only access by fucking cable car. And like we mentioned, it's in the middle of a snowstorm. Yeah. <laughs> no cell phones are working. No. Matt says to get everyone together, and Emily says, Well, Jess and Mike are 69ing each other, and who knows where Sam is? Because <laughs> of course she also has to dig it, like, Well, my ex is fucking eating this bitch out. <laughs> Chris is like, Sam's in the lodge. She's taking a bath. So now they know where everyone is. They know Josh is dead, and they know they need to get help. Right. And now we're back to therapy. <laughs> Much needed. The office is starting to look more and more decrepit with the walls falling apart and the paper peeling and more gruesome scenes just showing up. Dr. Hill asks if you think these poor people are getting what they deserve and refers to the night as a game. That it's not good for anyone. So it's really interesting. It's almost like this doctor is observing what we're seeing too. Yeah, it's like he's visualizing it. He's participating, but he's also partially involved who knows it almost sounds like it's the producers of the game asking the player like so how are we doing as a game developer (laughs) let's just do a quick pulse check (laughs) you good we hired the guy from armageddon to check in on you and these weren't released in like chapters were they no they were not it was all just released as one full game correct okay which is weird because when the chapters start they give you a previously on until dawn so it still kind of digests like one of those, but I think they broke that up just so you could play it in a more serialized way with your friends and stuff. Because the, the fun of Supermassive Games is that you can do them very like, we're going to have some people over and we're all going to freak out and play this game. Yeah, group effort. Yeah, it's fun. Dr. Hill says you're not being honest in the way you're playing. And then he asks if you're going to continue being self-indulgent. And then he asks if you believe he's real. Oh, shit. 
What an interesting question to ask somebody. Oh, right? Do you think I'm real? Wait, what? Sir. I'm starting to question everything in this game at this point, yeah. but go ahead. <laughs> Honey, we're in a horror movie. Who knows? You keep breaking the fourth wall, so. Yeah, I think you're Deadpool. <laughs> Chapter five, six hours until dawn. All right. Mike is continuing to follow the stranger in the mines and is apparently getting into the abandoned sanatorium grounds now. The stranger is followed by two feral wolves who seem to be his friends. So, like, that's horrifying to his see. buddy wolves? Yeah, he's just got two homie wolves. Awesome. Mike follows the strange man into the sanitarium, because that's the smart thing to do, <laughs> and sees the strange man giving the wolves a bone. You know, wholesome shit. So that's why the wolves thought he was going to be friends, because they thought they were going to get a treat out of it. I guess, yeah. All animals are the same. At our core, we are all motivated by food. Because <laughs> same. Mike finds a memo that the sanatorium was closed unexpectedly, and they just forced everyone off the property, essentially letting loose a bunch of people who need help and have nowhere to go and are left loose on a mountain. Yeah, fair enough. You guys heard our uh, Outlast episode? <laughs> it's this. The staff just left them all there. So <laughs> that's terrible. Just left all the inmates? They're kind of like... You guys good? Bye. And dip. Fend for yourselves. And they were like, we're in a sanitarium. None of us are okay. Oh, no. He also finds medical reports of intense psychosis, including a patient who's super violent and tried to bite an employee. But that's not foreshadowing, so who cares? <laughs> so Mike finds a machete while he's just traveling through. <laughs> and so he's looking through old medical records. And then he finds this crazy thing that's just... A severed arm waving back and forth in a box. And he's like, that's gross. I'm going to go touch it. Why the fuck would you see a severed arm and think I need to get closer to it? Mike, that... Mike is stupid, but hot. <laughs> Fair. He's also driven by horniness. That's the other element that, he, that everyone is driven by. Right. Especially in this game. But he's the guy that can actually get it. So yeah, he's the one that has all these mean girls fighting over him. Yeah. So it's a trap. And he gets two of his fingers trapped in a bear trap that kind of smashes. Now, if you're not familiar, a bear trap kind of looks like a jaw and it snaps shut mm -hmm. and it's fucking gross. Yeah, he like his fingers just go bye bye. So now he has a machete so he can either cut his own fingers off. Oh, right. Not unlike heavy rain. Yeah, right. Or use the machete to free his fingers. But if you do that, you break the machete and you need it later. So... Goodbye, fingers. It's best to cut off your fingers. Oh. You also lose fingers in an element of Outlast when you're also in an abandoned ward of a hospital with people who need help. So it's just a horror trope. I feel like fingers are always the first to go if you have yeah. to dismember somebody. You know, production-wise, it might be easier to knock a finger off versus a whole-ass limb. Uh, yeah, that's fair. And it's just, it's so visceral. You can feel something in your hands. like Yeah, definitely. I feel like people can relate to losing something as essential as your fingers. My paternal grandfather is missing part of his right finger. Oh, wow. And one time, this is obviously very back in the day, he was getting gas and the attendant was like, how much gas do you want in the tank? And he raised his hand. He goes, two and a half gallons because he didn't realize that he was just missing a <laughs> <laughs> My dad weirdly loves that story. Anyway. Oh, that's pretty good. Mike goes grave robbing in the morgue. 
<laughs> and pulls out a security card off of an orderly who is dead so he can access other parts of the other wards to try and follow the stranger who clearly has access to everything in this facility. I mean, if you're finding a dead orderly, that's a very bad thing. Yeah, I skimmed over that, but that's a pretty <laughs> terrible thing. He also ends up getting chased by one of the feral wolves. And when being chased by a feral wolf, he does the horror movie thing and runs upstairs and ends up hiding. Or you should just have some treats for the dogs because that seems to work. He could have saved those fingers and just tossed him a little bone. Give a dog a bone. Damn it, Mike. (laughs) It's finger food. Come on. (laughs) But we're smarter than horror movie horny teens. That's fair. He's upstairs. He's hiding, but he's also able to see the stranger downstairs in kind of an atrium of the sanatorium. And he goes looking for him. And, you know, he tries to make friends with the dog while he's up there. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. We're in this now. <laughs> Come on, Fido. He also finds a gun, which is very helpful. Always helpful. There's a map with newspaper clippings that he rolls up on. And it's super creepy and mysterious. And while he's also kind of digging through the stranger's shit, he finds a cigar box that has the same cigar butt that he found in the mines. So he's Ooh. like, this dude definitely crossed paths with me and Jess while we were in the mine shaft or like was around. This guy's gotten around at least. Yeah. Mike keeps heading into the depths to figure out what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Meanwhile, across town. <laughs> Matt and Emily are heading towards the cable car station to find a way to ask for help. They find an axe along the way. Great shit. Weirdly in the snow, Matt finds a tipped over can of red paint and he's like, that's still fresh. It's probably nothing. (sighs) You stupid sweet idiot. always dumb as hell. Why do you think this is going to be unrelated to everything going on? (laughs) Babe, you're in a video game. It's a clue. You're in a horror game on top of that. When they make the items glow, it's because they're important. (laughs) (laughs) Dipshit. So once Matt and Emily get into the cable car station, they see the entire place is trashed, which is really freaky because they were all just there like two or three hours ago and everything was fine. This, This is the first night they've been here. On the walls, in the red paint are the words, die, 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 all over. Like Reaper was here. Yeah. (laughs) Bunch of uh, disheveled guns. Right. (laughs) Kidding. They do find a map that shows a Firewatch tower with a radio symbol next to it along the cable car track. So they're like, perfect. We'll get to that tower. There's clearly some sort of wired radio so we can ask for help there. Because obviously nothing else is fucking working. And otherwise we are stranded and we don't know when we can leave. We got to go find Henry. (laughs) <laughs> Delilah come to the rescue Delilah won't save anybody hell no she's out to save herself yeah. we know that <laughs> they leave the cable car station to head out towards the firewatch tower in the deep snow and it's crazy cold out it's super dark there's a snowstorm and it's nighttime. they get back to the edge of a cliff as they're kind of getting lost and a herd of wild deer roll up on them and start to back them into a corner against the cliff. And like this game does this thing where I don't know what happened, but somewhere around this time period, some sound engineer discovered the sound effect deer makes when it's like <laughs> yelling out in the night because it is a horrifying fucking sound. Oh, it is unnerving and monstrous. Yeah. If you've ever heard this sound effect, it is just 
you can see why they use it in horror a lot, but I feel like so many different sound engineers at the same time all discovered what the sound of a deer <laughs> sounded like because you started hearing it in a lot of different things that were like, oh my God, this is a horror thing. It's literally, no, that's just what a deer sounds like. <laughs> like you see it and you're like, visually that's Bambi, but audibly it's Cthulhu. Yeah, right? It's, it's not fucking okay. terrifying sounding. Yeah. At the lodge, Sam is in a <laughs> towel in a bathroom with lots of candles lit. <laughs> She's having a great time. She puts in her <laughs> headphones. She has a playlist. She's like, this is the best weekend of my life. <laughs> There's a girl who just fell down a fucking shaft in a mine. Josh got cut in half. Right. And this bitch has got her bath bomb going right now. Just yeah. like she's having a lush night. Yeah. <laughs> she's chilling. She's like exfoliating while people are dying and shit. Just got taken by a monster. Right. And then she's like, all right, I had a great soak. Time to get out of the bath. She gets out and she notices that her clothes have been stolen. And she's just trapped alone in the lodge with a towel. She's like, my prankster ass friends. Yeah, she's like, they do love pranks and I fucking hate them. <laughs> and obviously, she has no idea Josh is dead or that she's alone in the house even. So at this point, she's like, what the fuck? Where are you guys? Where are my clothes? And she comes out of the bathroom. She's in a towel. The whole house is covered in candles. And there are balloons with arrows pointing around the lodge. Yeah. And Sam just assumes it's a prank because her friends love pranks. And she's mad because her pranks killed her best friend last year. Right. So not a great look. <laughs> so she's yelling at them. She's like, all right, it's not funny. Give me my clothes back. This isn't cute. Right. What the fuck? And this prank is clearly going to end in her naked, which I'm sure she's thrilled about. I know. Like, the last year's prank was aimed at getting fucking Hannah's shirt off in front of Mike. Right. This one's just like, let's see Sam's bush. You know, it's <laughs> it's not a good look. Eventually, she gets down to the movie theater room in the lodge where a creepy video is playing and a creepy man's voice comes over to taunt her. The video then cuts to a video of her in the bath from minutes before. Oh, that is probably the most terrifying thing that you could do. Is show nearly live footage. It's worse than live footage. Yeah. Because it's, it's hidden. Minutes ago footage of you in a vulnerable state. Like, that's fucking Ugh. horrible. The voiceover asks if this is the last few happy minutes of her life. Oh, my God. Then it cuts to the shot of Josh being cut in half. And wailing as he dies. So she knows now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the voiceover counts down from 10. And like, she's in a fucking towel. God. So imagine barefoot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Barefoot in a towel. She's not even holding the towel. The towel is just staying up magically, which that's not how towels work. Honestly, this towel is pure magic. This towel is the goat of the game. Yeah, this towel is the MVP. This towel goes through some shit and somehow manages to always stay perfectly on through the entire <laughs> fucking thing. So this creepy man starts chasing her while she's in her fucking towel, sprinting, full ass dead sprint. Brilliantly, she goes down into the fucking basement and tries to run away from the creepy man. I mean, it's either run upstairs or downstairs in horror movies, so. Yeah, I guess she's really breaking the trope by going into the basement. <laughs> and, like, Die Hard ain't got shit on this girl running around barefoot. <laughs> That's true. You know, he at least got to wear pants. Yeah, and he has a shirt to start with. Like, it gets torn the fuck up through the movie, but. Yeah. You know, 
his belly button's a little more covered. You know, she her his knees are covered. He has whole ass pants. She's just a towel. That's a yeah. tube top, honey. She is in her birthday suit otherwise. Yeah, she's getting a breeze. And it's cold. <laughs> it is cold. It's, and she's wet. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> but it is therapy time. It's time for more therapy. Obviously. Dr. Hill seems to be back in the cabin situation now because there's a brick fireplace and antlers over the fireplace. Oh, okay. He says, they did so much work exploring your fear and that you're using it for ill. He says, was it worth it? And then the creepy man confronts Dr. Hill and we cut away. The creepy man? The creepy man that killed Josh. That was in the mask and everything? Yeah. Oh. And is clearly chasing Sam. Yeah. Chapter six, five hours until dawn. Oh, goodness. We're getting there. At the cliff with the deer, we see Emily and Matt kind of backing up away from the herd of deer. Right. They're not evil deer. They're literally just deer. (laughs) So I'm going to throw that out there so no one's weirded out by this. Right. Emily and Matt are like, this isn't crazy. And they kind of just walk through the head of deers. So, you know. This one was a a big red herring. It was nothing. Everything's fine. Right. I think here you can shoot at them, though, right? Yeah, but it doesn't really matter. Either way, you can just kind of walk through them. Yeah. It's fine. So now that that weird shit is over, they get to the Firewatch Tower, which in the middle of the night snowstorm is hard to climb up and is frankly really scary. Imagine that. In the tower, they do find a missing poster for Hannah. Oh, and they get the power working in the station, and they attempt to get on the radio comms to ask for help. And they connect. A park ranger they talk to copies the reports of the murder on the mountain, and they copy the Josh death. So they're like, okay, we totally know what's going on. Unfortunately, due to how high they are and how bad the snowstorm is, the park ranger has to send a helicopter. And with that storm, they can't send out a team until dawn. Ding. That's the name of the game. (laughs) Just then, from below them, the wood starts to break as someone or something is trying to attack them high up in the firewatch tower. So you're hanging out dozens and dozens and dozens of feet up in the air or meters, whatever, they're Canadian. Right. (laughs) And the floorboards are breaking from the inside up. Oh, my God. Fucking horrifying. This is way worse than anything Delilah ever did. No. So they're having a full fucking meltdown going, what the fuck is that? And then at the base of the tower, we as the audience see an unseen figure cutting one of the support cables for the firewatch tower. Oh, my God. And the entire tower starts to collapse under the weight of the storm. And this thing's fucking up high. Yeah, because, again, mountains, crazy snow. You have to be really high up to get clear altitude to be able to send radio signals and shit like that. Otherwise, it's... You know, too low and signals bounce and shit. Like 50 to 75 feet up. Easily, which is way too high. Yeah. The cabin shakes and breaks and Emily and Matt are thrown around this small watchtower room as the legs of the tower begin to break and collapse in on themselves. Emily falls through the cabin and hangs onto the railing of the now collapsed watchtower as it plummets into the mountain and into the underlying mineshaft. Everybody's ending up in the mines. Yeah, it's kind of the big deal. (laughs) Emily is hanging on and Matt is working on getting her back up and safe. But eventually, she loses her grip and falls deeper into the mines. Into the mines she goes. (laughs) Well, back into the mines I go. 
<laughs> Back at the lodge, Chris and Ashley are looking for Sam, and they notice the balloons and are clearly super fucking traumatized. Ashley manages to be like, hey, Chris, thanks for not killing me. Yeah. And he's like, I would do it again. <laughs> Which, like, oh, you're so romantic for not choosing me to die. Right. The door to the basement mysteriously opens, not good, <laughs> and they head down together, because that's what you do. They hear some banging around and movement down there, and they are so fucking scared. They should be. Like, those two of everybody should be fucking terrified, because they're the only ones who have witnessed a murder at this point. Yeah. And arguably, one of them caused it. <laughs> yeah, Chris definitely did. Yeah. A figure is walking around in the dark, and while Ashley keeps seeing it, Chris manages to never catch a glimpse of it. So she's just seeing out of the corner of her eye like, holy shit, I, I swear I just saw a person move. And, and he's like, it's shadows, shut up. Yeah, Chris is like, we're both traumatized. <laughs> um, I get it, we're fine. Ashley decides it's a ghost. <laughs> the logical thing. She's a horse girl. <laughs> they follow the ghost to a dollhouse. And when they open up the dollhouse, they see a bunch of dolls, and the dolls have their eyes scratched out. And when they look closer, all of the dolls are put in the same place as the scene of when Hannah was caught taking her shirt off for Mike, and they all jumped out with the camera. Oh, They shit. have a little doll that looks like Mike holding a camera. They've got an Emily and Jess that are laughing. There's a Hannah doll that's clearly scared. They are terrified. And then they find Hannah's diary oh shit they are reading the page entries it leads up to hannah talking about how excited she is to see mike and party on the mountains with her friends and how stoked she is just to hang out with mike oh she was such a little mike stalker but like at the same time it's was it a crush was it a little bit more than the crush was it something that there should have been kind of worrisome about you know her obsession with mike yeah, but it's a little much and he was dating their friend yeah the bitchiest girl of them all but still you know it's out of respect for your friendship with emily like they're clearly friends enough to be going on vacation together you know i wasn't gonna say anything at the very beginning but at the same time it was really fucked up that she knew that mike was with somebody else and she was willing to like go through with it and still chase yeah yeah so chris and ashley are like that's the most horrifying shit I've seen in the last two minutes. <laughs> I know, right? They just keep seeing worse and worse. They keep exploring and Ashley finds a hidden camera. And then, you know, being the bad bitch she is, she's like, go suck an egg. <laughs> horse girl. They find a hidden room in the basement that goes down even deeper. And Ashley's having a full mental breakdown. She's like, there's ghosts. I hate this. I'm not okay. And Chris is like, we do this where we die. Come on. <laughs> she's like, where's my horse? Yeah. She's like, I just want to comb my hair. <laughs> In the belly of the basement, they start finding weird shit like dummies and fake blood and pictures of all the friends tacked up on a wall that look like a hit list. Oh, damn. So like everybody that was involved in the prank. Yeah. And also Chris and Sam and Josh, all three of them were not involved. Right. So like, what the fuck? Josh shouldn't be a part of this. Right. He suffered the most. They find a projector that has video footage from the prank playing with Hannah coming in and not realizing they were playing a prank on her. Oh, no. 
Chris then has to explain to Ashley that ghosts can't work projectors, so it's <laughs> definitely not a ghost. <laughs> That's how he has to logic it to her. Just be like, it's not fucking ghosts, okay? Yeah, he's like, if our math teacher can't figure out the overhead projector, in what fucking world can a ghost figure out the overhead projector? <laughs> they come up on a dummy dressed up in Sam's clothes that were stolen while she was taking a bath. And while they're like, uh, that's creepy. Super creepy. The creepy man in the mask comes up, knocks out Chris, punches Ashley out while yelling, live and learn. Oh my God. Like, what the fuck? These kids are just getting fucked up. Chris and Ashley wake up tied to two chairs across from each other with a small table in the middle. Chris says he's going to murder his fucking face off. They cry and the creepy man comes in on a voiceover. He says Chris needs to make one more fatal choice today. He says Chris can either take the gun that's on the table and either shoot himself or shoot Ashley and the other gets to live. So he just keeps getting put into these like trolley problems. Chris wasn't even involved. <laughs> I know he was passed out. Chris and Josh had bro time fell asleep at the kitchen table and then all the other people were involved in this. Right, so it's their fault for not being awake to stop all of it from happening. Chris pulls the trigger. Like, regardless of which direction he's pointing it? The analyst. <laughs> Dr. Hill is yelling at the creepy man in the mask and is asking him what makes him feel like he can play God in other people's lives. On TV monitors in his office are security cameras of what happens with Chris and Ashley so he can see that they're tied up. Right. Dr. Hill asks what he's done, and he calls the man in the mask a psychopath. Clearly a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, that's astute. Yeah. Good way to use your uh, doctorate, Dr. Hill. <laughs> Chapter 7. Four hours until dawn. Sam goes through the basement, hiding from the creepy man in the mask, and finds herself deep downstairs. She finds a psychiatric report on Josh, and it's signed, Dr. Hill. Oh, fuck. It describes a history of being medicated, intense disorders, tons of hospital bills, and a lot of treatment for different psychosis diagnoses, some of which include hearing voices. Sorry, I just liked psychosis diagnosis. That was oh, really thank you. Yeah. We're going to get back to some dark shit, though. <laughs> she also finds Josh's cell phone with messages from Dr. Hill begging him to continue taking his medication and to come back, pick up on treatment, but Josh keeps saying to leave me alone. He's clearly ignoring him. Oh, damn. Sam finds a memory board with mementos and pictures of Hannah and Beth. Her towel is still magically staying on after all of this. <laughs> so she is still just running around bare ass. Yeah, and like digging through people's phones and shit. Like she has enough leeway away from the creepy man in the mask that she's just like, all right, let's look for clues. Like she decided to take this bath at Eight hours until yeah. dawn, and we're at four hours until dawn. So she's been in this towel for at least three hours. Yeah, like, bitch is dry. <laughs> she's just dirty now. Like, she genuinely needs a bath now. Like, that basement is dusty as hell. Yeah. This poor girl. <laughs> she comes up on seeing the creepy man in the mask through a door as he monitors the security cameras of the house. So she's, like, sneaking up on him. Yeah, she can kind of get the leeway on him, but she's not going to roll up on him. She's in a towel, and he's a big dude. Yeah, what's she going to do? Fuck that. She then finds a voice recorder with the creepy man's voice, and then it goes, no, 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 that's not right, but in Josh's voice. Oh, damn. 
She runs into the dummy with her clothes on and is like, what the fuck? But in this moment, she does not stop to take the time to put her clothes back on. She just stands on her towel and is like, man, those are my leggings. (laughs) Then through the corner of her eye, through a grate in the bottom of the basement floor, Mike reaches out and scares the ever-living shit out of her. Why are they constantly jump-scaring each other? (laughs) Mike is, like, very hushed. He's like, don't yell, don't yell. And she's like, shut the fuck up, I hate you. (laughs) And they catch each other up. He's like, I followed a stranger into the sanatorium. And Sam's like, a creepy man in a mask has been chasing me. And I'm pretty sure Josh is involved in this. Yeah, somehow, because he's cut in half. (laughs) Sam comes around and finds a door that connects to whatever way Mike used to come back from the sanatorium into the lodge. And she puts her clothes back on. So she has shoes on now and stuff. Yeah. It's funny, though, because in this moment, she chooses not to put on her old clothes, but she puts on a completely new outfit. So she had a second set of clothing the entire fucking time. Yeah, she, like, goes up to her shit and she's like, oh, my backpack is here. I guess I'll put on some fresh clothes, which, like, go off, but... Option the entire time. Yeah, but, like, she also takes a beat to be like, well, let's put these on. (laughs) Well, I've got a different outfit. It's a lot cuter. Yeah. It's to show that time has passed. (laughs) I think it's also like she did not want to touch the dummy and was like, that is fucking crazy. Right. I'm going to write those clothes off. They are not coming home with me. I would be too creeped out by those clothes after that. Entirely. So she's like, all right, Mike, you and I are in this. We are clearly the heroes. Let's do this. (laughs) They walk through the basement and they come up on Chris and Ashley tied to the chairs. Oh, right. It turns out. Chris's gun only had blanks, so no matter what his choice was, they're fine. Oh, but you know, that choice of if he decided to shoot Ashley instead, she's stuck with that image in her head for the rest of both of their lives. Oh my god, right? And, you know, if he does take, you know, the manly way and try to, you know, kill himself instead, it's still very traumatic. Entirely! And he still has a crush on her, this is- Very bad for being a horny teen. (laughs) And as Sam and Mike walk up on this scene, the creepy man in the mask is up in front of Chris and Ashley, taunting them, being like, they're blanks, dipshit. (laughs) And as Sam and Mike are there, Chris and Ashley are there, the creepy man in the mask finally reaches up, takes the mask off, and Josh exhales. But how? Back in the mines, Emily is hung upside down by her boots. Okay. On a wire. Wait, uh, the one that fell through the uh, the shaft. Emily is the bitchy girl who was up in the Firewatch Tower, and then the entire tower collapsed into a mine shaft. That one. Yes. Sorry. There's a couple different mean girls that have fallen down a mine shaft. Yeah, there really is. That's also what happened to Jess. So just to be very clear to everyone. The two bitchy girls have fallen down the mine shaft at this point. <laughs> the less horny one is hanging upside down by her Got boots. Got it. <laughs> She's eventually released and falls deeper down into the mines, and the tower falls along with her. Oh, shit. There are some fire from the collapse, because obviously, Mm -hmm. and she makes a torch to get through the mines. While in the mines, she hears some animalistic screams that scare the absolute shit out of her. Right. And then she eventually keeps falling deeper into the pit of the mine and runs into a shit ton of human skeletons. Human skeletons. Yep. And a shit ton of them? Like a shit ton of them. Oh, that's not a good sign ever. And she says it's gross. Just gross. Yeah, she's like, ew. 
<laughs> Instead of, oh no. Like, these aren't my thing. Yeah. <laughs> Not my aesthetic, babe. <laughs> In the mines, she sees bursts of fire going off and is like, I'm going to walk towards that. You know, the fire didn't turn out great for Hannah and Beth, but sure. Or anyone ever. <laughs> it looks like someone may be down there wielding a flamethrower from afar. And she's like, cool. Casual flamethrower. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't run immediately into the flamethrower, but she does find a way out of the mines. And it's hard to go up because, again, things are snowy. It's hard to climb. She's way the fuck down there. While she's looking for a way out, she actually finds something interesting. It's a familiar pair of glasses. Whose glasses? Hannah's. Oh, no. But no Hannah's body. No. Well, there's a bunch of skeletons around, so. Oh, my God. (laughs) She hunts around and sees the date that Hannah and Beth went missing carved into part of a wall. Oh, shit. Which is one year prior to this night. Exactly. So she's like, I know that day. Yeah. She finds Hannah's locket necklace. She finds a cross headstone with the name Beth and the date that Hannah and Beth went missing. Emily now knows the truth. The girls fell down the mine that night, and Hannah survived long enough to bury her sister. But Beth died the same day they went missing. Oh, shit. So one of them survived it. This dumb bitch keeps looking. Right. And then she finds probably one of the most horrific things in the game. Okay. Beth's decapitated head. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Just a dead head. And it's a year old. Right. So it's a rotten dead head. It's a rotten dead head. Oof. Oh, it's so bad. But wait, I mean, why just the head? (laughs) Where's the rest of the body? Oh, it's never good when you just find parts. She ends up running and being like, ah. She ends up running directly into the stranger with the flamethrower because now he's being fucking easy to find. Right. She looks at him and she's like, ah, and sprints away, accidentally starting a fire behind her while she's running. How did she start a fire? She knocked some shit over and, you know, like any good mine shaft, there's a bunch of oil drums and loose flints. (laughs) You know how that goes. Right. He still finds her and like rolls up on her in a dead end. It's like, what up? (laughs) And this is not wearing the Josh mask. Correct. This is a different stranger that had the same snow mask. Because we know the other guy is Josh. (laughs) Right. Across town. Speaking of, back at the lodge, Josh is laughing hysterically while Mike and Sam untie a sobbing, traumatized Chris and Ashley, (laughs) who were just made to think for the second time they'd have to see one of them die because of Chris's stupid decisions. I mean, the pranks here are just so over the top with this group of friends. This is not a good group of friends. Not at all. They're very toxic. (laughs) Josh is losing his mind screaming that he hopes they're enjoying themselves and that he got to prank them back just like they did to his sisters. This is all just revenge prank. Yeah, what the fuck, man? He gets into how he created his little traps with fake bodies. He faked the ghost. He was doing all sorts of insane shit with the means of his dad's movie prop warehouse and all the money. He tells them that while he's off his meds, revenge is the best medicine and says there'll be internet sensations because he's been filming all of this. Oh, so that's how he had the footage of Hayden in the bathtub and everything. Yeah. We see Ashley roll up on a hidden camera and tells it to suck an egg and shit. So he's... Doing a Blair Witch or something? Doing a Blair Witch or a Cabin in the Woods or, again, it's 
all the horror things. There's a little bit of Saw, and, and then there were none. Yeah. Mike is not having this and says, Jess is dead, you shithead. This isn't a joke. And then he pistol whips Josh rightfully. Yeah, very rightfully. Yeah, <laughs> which like is satisfying because you're like, no, no, Jess still fell down a mine shaft like right. twice. <laughs> like in her underwear and is definitely dead somewhere. Like got pulled out by a monster or some shit. That's horny bitchy girl, not yeah. regular bitchy girl. He was like, I was trying to fuck her. And then she got yanked through a closed door. Yeah. <laughs> and then fell down a mine shaft the moment I found her. So fuck you. We cut a couple minutes later and Chris and Mike are walking Josh out in the snow. Josh's hands are bound behind his back <laughs> because they were like, we cannot trust you. You're under citizen's arrest. Yeah. <laughs> wherever the fuck that is. We're in a mountain law now. Yeah. <laughs> Mike and Chris decide to lock Josh up to keep him from doing more stupid shit until the police come by, because fuck this. Yeah. Josh is like, seriously, I had nothing to do with Jessica. I've been focused on Chris, my best friend who had nothing to do with this, and Ashley, the nerd. But, you know, Mike and Chris are not having it. They're like, fuck you. Yeah. And Chris is like, you straight up punched Ashley in the face. You don't punch an 18-year-old girl in the face, No, you fucking weirdo. You like, don't knock your friends unconscious as a prank. Yeah, you don't do that. And then, like, you're a 20-year-old man punching probably a 5'2", 100-pound girl in the face. Like, yeah. That's just fucking crazy. Like, there's, eh, you, you can argue misogyny and feminist or whatever you want to here, but, you know, just. Don't punch people. Just don't do it. And don't pick on people smaller than you. Straight up. It'll come down to that, you know? And you picked on the people that were least guilty of the entire prank. Yeah, the bitchy girls were the meaner ones. Like, during the prank, Jess is the one that was like, oh my god, she's taking her shirt off. And Emily's the girlfriend that goaded her boyfriend into fucking teasing this girl that had a crush on her boyfriend. Yeah. Ashley and Chris and and Sam, they are the, truly the nicest people involved in this. <laughs> Even pushover Matt was holding the camera, but like the people he picked on had the least to do with this shit. Probably because he was the least afraid of them. Yeah, he's like, Emily might kill me. She's, <laughs> she is a 4.0. She's crazy. Right. So, I don't know. She's got a 4.0. Josh is fully out of it now and he is screaming that he's a healer and he's bringing people together oh so like he is just off oh, of his rocker fully off the rails the loss of his sisters really sent him down a deep dark path yeah he tells them that he can't take a joke but then he kind of has these breaks of being cognizant and says like truly dude i do not know what happened to jessica mike and chris are like you are the fucking worst shut up they take him out to this shed that's outdoors next to the lodge, just right on the same property, and they tie him to a wooden pillar. Josh is completely losing it. He starts talking in weird voices. He's screaming. He's asking what happened to Jess. He says he would have remembered killing Jess, but he doesn't know what happened to her and really just sends Mike on the edge with that comment because Mike is like, fuck you. No one knows where my girlfriend is. And Josh is going, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> Yeah, he really, like, leans into this performance, too. I feel like he gets a little hammy with it. This is some fun Rami Malek yeah. performance. <laughs> I will give him, you know, this is pre-Oscar. <laughs> Fair. He is still discovering himself as an actor. Yeah, this is pre-robot. This was beta robot. You know, we were, 
we were not swinging for the Emmy on this one. Yeah, and you know what? He was probably like, I'm in a video game. I can get as weird with this as possible. Oh, totally. He's like, we can be a little funky. Like, I'm in a mocap suit. It's 6 p.m. I want to go home. <laughs> Let's do this. I haven't slept all day. I'm just in character now. Let's just fucking do it. I was told Hayden would be in a towel, and <laughs> she wasn't even scheduled to film today. And so. I'm not in any of those scenes with her. Yeah. <laughs> They use my body double for that shit. That's infuriating. <laughs> this is the first chapter jump we get without a therapy session. Well, clearly, because I mean, like, everything went to hell in therapy. Yeah, therapy didn't help. No. Chapter eight, three hours until dawn. The stranger with the flamethrower finds Emily and tells her to be quiet. And a tall, monster-looking thing appears. He gives her a flare and a bag of other flares and says, get out of here. Sends her down a path in the mines where he seemingly fights off the monster that was coming. Now, I'm sorry, you say monster. That's something completely new. Oh, yeah, there's monsters now. <laughs> Please describe said monster. The monster is thin. It's very tall. It looks like a reanimated corpse that is a big-ass golem. Mm -hmm. Honestly, they kind of do look like the necromorphs in Dead Space. Okay. Where they are very tall. They have super sharp-looking hands. There's something very animalistic about them. They seem very feral, and they're huge and very strong and very fast. Almost spider-like in their movement. Yes, very much. They, they scuttle. Yeah. They are bald and long and scary. TLDR. <laughs> <laughs> One gets a full swipe at Emily, and she sprints the fuck out of there. She manages to get out of a mine and goes flying down the mountain after propelling down a cable using it as a zip line. Oh, awesome. <laughs> which is a very cool action moment. Yeah. But she somehow survives this, which is insane. She runs towards the lodge to be with her friends, and they immediately let her in. And she's like, ah! <laughs> Chris, Ashley, and Sam are doting on her and trying to calm her down because she's having a full, reasonable meltdown after she gets in the cabin. Well, yeah, she's seen actual monsters now. Emily tries to convince them there's something out there, and the team is like, Josh has been fucking with us. We tied him up in the fucking shed. And right. Emily's like, no, 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 no. Separate thing. <laughs> something was chasing me, and it was not human. Right. She tells them about how she found Beth's head down in the mines Oof. and that Hannah didn't die from the fall and was probably down there starving for weeks. That's such a brutal way to go. Mike comes in, hugs Emily so tight, and they all realize no one knows where her boyfriend Matt is. Oh, right. I have forgotten about Matt entirely. So did the group. <laughs> they hear knocking at the door and they all stop in their tracks to see what's happening. Chris and Mike, the boys, are like, we're going to go to the door and figure out what's going on. They take a gun. They open the door, and it's the stranger with the flamethrower that was in the mines with Emily. He just walks right into the cabin. <laughs> with his flamethrower in tow. Yeah, he's like, I'm ready. <laughs> I stay strapped. The stranger is played by Larry Fessenden, one of the writers in the game. Oh, that's great. I mean, he's got such a great look to him. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah. He is here to tell the gang what they're up against on the mountain and that they should have never come back here. <laughs> it's a perfect movie trope. Yeah. No, entirely. He's like if, if Pearson showed up with a flamethrower. <laughs> 
Pearson from Red Dead? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> you need some fire. I got my experience from the Navy. <laughs> With a flamethrower. Yeah. <laughs> he calls the area his mountain, and then he says the mountain belongs to the Wendigo. Hey, that's the name of the horror movie he wrote and starred in. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I had never heard of a Wendigo until this game. It's a very real, like, mythological creature. Yeah. A, a real mythological creature? No, but I mean, like, it is something that has, you know, existed in mythology before. Yeah, it has a lot of deep-seated lore. I yeah. think it's regional. Oh, so. yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> regional. The way, like, Jersey Devil from Wolf Among Us was, you know, a regional kind of fable. Or lore. Yeah, so this is, like, Canadian <laughs> fable. Yeah, or just Native American Okay, Native American fable. Yeah, we'll get into it. He says that there's a curse in the mountain lands and that if anyone brings themselves to cannibalism in the mountains, then the spirit of the Wendigo will be unleashed. Now, a Wendigo is a... I'm going to boil this down because we can totally do a separate thing on the lore of this, but please go down the rabbit hole separately. But high level, a Wendigo is a mythical creature who only hunts at night until dawn. They are created as a result of cannibalism. These are mostly referenced in Native American lore, and when someone brings themselves to cannibalism, they slowly turn into a Wendigo. The Wendigo are crazy powerful. They're crazy strong. They're long and thin. They don't have a lot of humanity left in them. There's just maybe a glimmer, but they eat everything. They are fucking vicious and honestly it probably has some level of truth to it because you hear stories of people who have resorted to cannibalism and they you know they get this what they call the hunger for more and so i imagine in a more primal state especially you know in native american culture especially they were much more primal than you know quote unquote civilized cultures. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine any time that somebody resorted to cannibalism once and just it slowly drove them to madness. Yeah, and that added with this being a very remote mountain area where there's not a lot of other cultures, there's a lot of other people and you know, seeing other groups is very rare so you end up eating everyone, I guess. Fuck. Do, do you think rabies probably had something to do with it too? Like oh my God. unlike realization of what rabies was on top of that? In the real world, yes. Yeah. Here, it is a curse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I absolutely agree, but I don't want to get too in the weeds about the true roots of Wendigo, but, oh, I absolutely agree things like rabies and other kind of madness-inducing things from eating right. the wrong... I mean, COVID allegedly came from a bat. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't eat animals we don't know how to eat, I think is the big takeaway. Yeah, definitely. I like salmon. <laughs> you know i think that's, some beef yeah i think chicken yeah i think salmon and you know the big few animals are pretty decent to stick with i love a good ahi tuna yeah um and so far yeah the craziness has only been blamed on my mother <laughs> and you're working on that yeah and i go to therapy just like josh tried to oh no oh gosh <laughs> The gang kind of puts all this together and they're like, holy shit, a Wendigo's probably what grabbed Jess because it had those crazy arms. And they're like, oh, fuck. Josh genuinely was playing a prank on us. He was being a dick and he punched Ashley out. But we tied him up to a stick outside like a Wendigo fucking popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> like he's bait. 
They also put together that Hannah survived the fall and was probably starving down in the mines, and the only part of Beth's body we found is her head. Oh, my God. It's probably not related. Let's move on. (laughs) The stranger takes Chris to go get Josh outside from the shed so he can bring them back with the group because they're like, all right, fine, let's go get Josh. We accidentally may have fed him to the Wendigo. Right. Before he leaves, though, Ashley goes up to Chris and gives him a kiss. Oh. Yeah. So Unless, well, like, Chris pointed the gun and tried to shoot her. That's true. <laughs> that's true. If Chris at any point tried to kill Ashley, of which he has two chances, he could have sent the saw to Ashley. No matter what it does, it goes to Josh because it's a prank. Right. Or if he tried to shoot Ashley, which, again, no consequences. Right. She's like, go get Josh. Bye. <laughs> kind of pissed at you, but if you play your cards right... Ashley gives you a little smooch. You can get a little smooch out of Ashley. Nice. While Chris and the stranger are heading towards the shed to go get Josh, you get some information dumps like fire is the best way to kill the Wendigo. Mm. If you shoot at the Wendigo, it like stops them, but it's not going to kill them. The Wendigo are super active at night. Obviously, when dawn hits, they stop and they like hide. So there's some vampirism in the lore here as well. Yeah. And they can't see you if you're standing still. Like a T-Rex. I was going to say like a T-Rex in Jurassic Park. Yes. (laughs) I mean, it really does work great with that don't move control that you have to use. Exactly. It's really wonderful. And just there are some wonderfully tense moments with the Wendigos and this don't move function of the game. Oh, it is my most memorable piece of this game. Absolutely. Is the don't move section with the Wendigo. Like I'm holding my breath along with the characters. You can hear it. Yeah. (laughs) We're getting there. I promise, guys. It's so satisfying. And also just play this fucking game. It's so good. It's such a good game. The Chris and the Stranger get to the shed and lo and behold, Josh isn't there anymore. Oh, no. They poke around looking for him, but the stranger says, don't move. This obviously kicks off a don't move QTE. Oh. The Wendigo found them. The stranger pauses and then says, run. Then the Wendigo comes across and with one swipe decapitates the stranger. It's so good. It's so fast. The best thing is that it just moves so fucking quickly. Yeah. This Wendigo chases Chris down the mountain, but he can occasionally turn around and shoot at her with the shotgun that the stranger gave him. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do any damage again, but it can slow it down so it gets confused so Chris can get a little farther away. Right. He gets back to the lodge after escaping the Wendigo, and he's banging on the door, and he turns around, and he realizes there's more than one Wendigo in the woods. Because <laughs> he's like, lot. I shot one, and now there's one popping up over there. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. He gets inside the cabin to hide, and Ashley lets him in. Now, to your point, I don't want to divert too much, but you did say if you try to kill Ashley, she doesn't kiss you. If you tried to kill Ashley, she doesn't let you back. (laughs) And you watch Chris die. And that's the only death that I want to allude to. But straight up, if you're like, if you shoot her with a blank, or if you send the saw down to Ashley, you see Chris banging on the door. Ashley, let me in. Ashley, let me in. You see the Wendigo behind him running. And she just stares at him through the window in the door and is like, fuck you. You tried to kill me. Yeah. How's it feel, bitch? And then he just gets killed by a Wendigo in front of her, which is horrifying can't you just be like a shit happens on the mountain open the door bitch (laughs) and like a wendigo tears you apart 
Oh, it's like sword hands. Yeah, like the deaths in this are some of the most gruesome fucking deaths you've ever seen in horror. Ugh. Like talking like somebody grabbing the top and bottom of your jaw and separating them from your head. Like it's fucking horrifying. That's a death that I got on my first (laughs) play. I I had such a visceral reaction to like, oh yeah, I fucked that one up. Oh, it's so memorable. Shouldn't have gone down that road. Horrifying, yeah. They're so good. This Wendigo comes towards the cabin, and then we cut back to an unconscious Josh being dragged in the snow by a Wendigo. Oh, shit. Whoopsies. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Josh hasn't been a great person. Yeah, he's been the fucking worst. (laughs) Chris goes to the basement and tells the gang that the stranger was torn apart by a Wendigo right in front of him. Sam is adamant that the group stays safe in the basement until dawn because, like the group knows, Emily mentioned the ranger said they can't send a helicopter out until dawn. Mike is like, fuck that. We need to get out of the lodge right now and off the mountain as soon as fucking possible. Emily says the Wendigo may have taken Josh down into the mines because she was down there. She saw all sorts of crazy shit. She's like, that's probably where the Wendigo live. Reasonable, yeah. And they're like, fuck. If that's where Josh is, we need to go to Josh because he has the only key to turn on the fucking cable car to get off the mountain. Of course that asshole does. So regardless of which decision they want, they still need to go get Josh. Yeah, they're like, this he's the worst, you guys. <laughs> so Mike talks about some of the things he found in the sanatorium. He found articles and reports of a cave-in in the mines where like 15 miners got trapped in the 50s and couldn't get out. And, you know, eventually those miners did get rescued and they were put in the sanatorium. And it's a big information dump that we'll get back to. It's fine. (laughs) But just so you know, in the 50s, there was a mine collapse. A bunch of miners got trapped. 15 got saved. And then they went straight into the sanatorium for rehab. And how many got trapped initially? More than that. Yeah. But these horny kids are in a horror movie, so they're not putting things together as fast as you and I are. So let's not bury the lead here. All right, fair enough. Mike is like, fuck that noise. We're getting out of here now. I'm going towards the sanatorium because it's above the mines and I can get into the mines through there and get Josh's key and get us off the mountain. He's like, we are stranded without that fucking key. I know Josh has it. We're going. Fair. Emily is like, well, good luck. There's one to go shit in the mines, so it's probably where he is. And Mike's like, dope. I'm going through. I'm getting in the mines. I'm going to get Josh and get us out of here. And the entire group is like, what the fuck, Mike? <laughs> Give it a couple hours. Let's just sit in a circle <laughs> and not do that. They give him a minute, and they're like, Mike's going to fucking die. We got to go get Mike. Right. <laughs> There's no way he Dumbass survives. Dumbass Mike. He's pretty, but he dumb. He's pretty dumb. <laughs> and interestingly enough here, we go back to therapy. Oh, okay. So back into the therapy. But now we're in therapy in third person. Oh, okay. So we are now seeing who we were as the protagonist in that situation. Dr. Hill is now speaking to Josh. <laughs> okay. Straight up. <laughs> so, yes, we watch Dr. Hill scream at Josh and calls him so selfish and look what happened. He says Josh did nothing to help his sisters because of his own fears. Josh is just hyperventilating and is terrified. Dr. Hill says the game has gone horribly wrong 
And now his friends, like his sisters, have deserted him. Dr. Hill says he hopes his friends can save him from something worse than death itself. Oh, so all of these little interstitials have been just seeing inside of Josh's fucked up mind. And just the unraveling of how he's processing things. And you think that Dr. Hill is talking about the game as Until Dawn, but it's the game that Josh was playing on his friends. Right. Oh, it's this game is so fucking good. And it like lends a lot more to the question of, do you believe I'm real? Yeah. You know, do you recognize that I'm a voice in your head? Oh, my God. Oh, you got to play this more than once, guys. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those satisfying ones. And the more you play it, the more clues you find, the different storylines you can get into. Like, just as an example, in the beginning, when Emily and Jess are having a fucking fight for no goddamn reason, if you play it right, you can get Mike and Matt to fight instead. Oh, wow. So you can get the boyfriends to fight instead of the girlfriend. The girlfriend's obviously... Emily starts every fight. <laughs> I was going to say as the girls, it's just Emily. She's a fucking antagonist like no other mother with a 4.0 GPA, bitch. She will fucking find a way to insert herself to start a fight for no goddamn reason. She knows how to push a button. abso fucking Speaking of pushing buttons, Mike is heading back to the sanatorium to hopefully find a key or a way off the mountain because he's unwilling to wait Two hours for help to come from the secure basement in the lodge. (laughs) After the night that he has had, he just wants to get the fuck out of there. Because we are in chapter nine, two hours until dawn. (laughs) Like, you're starting to see that purple in the sky again. Right. You know, you're like, the stars are starting to melt back into the skyline. Just fucking sit there. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait it out. And you know what? Start a fire. Start a fire in the lodge. They don't like fire. Sit around the fire. And if something comes close to you, pick up a stick with fire. And at this point, fuck Josh. He's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? The parents have already said goodbye to a couple kids. What's yeah. one more? <laughs> Sad for Jess. But <laughs> yeah. And we have no idea where Matt went. So he's probably just gone to the mines. Right. <sighs> so in the sanatorium, it looks like the wolves have gone through and the place looks crazy decrepit. Mm-hmm. So like it looks like a Wendigo came through, tore a bunch of shit up scared some of the wolves off like it is fucking crazy in here mike manages to make a torch and finds a sawed off shotgun to protect himself because these are just lying around in a horror game (laughs) i mean it's a good weapon to have but why is it just lying around i know right well this was the stranger's hideout right so he's going through and he's like i know there's a way to get into the mines through the sanatorium so let's fucking find josh i guess and he runs back into one of his wolf friends Oh, the wolf friends. Okay. Yeah. And he's like, all right, I'm going to pet you. We're buddies now. Are you cool? We're cool? All right. So they buddy up to get through the the maze of the fucking facility so they can find Josh, who's in the mines right below this facility. And you know, the wolf is just down for this, I guess. Right. You guys are buddies. Yeah. He's like, take me to Josh, buddy. And he's like, okay, it's this way. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking lassie. (laughs) In the sanatorium, the wolf finds the ripped apart body of the other wolf. Oh, shit. Who is presumably mauled by the Wendigo, which is actually really sad that he's like, bark, bark, that's my homie. Yeah. It makes your buddy wolf so upset. (laughs) He also finds some weird shit written on the walls of the sanatorium. It looks like the inmates who were left when the place got abandoned resorted to some sort of cannibalism and there's some Wendigo on the mountain. So there's some 
crazy shit that Mike can't f- seem to fucking put the buttons together for. <laughs> and you're like, Mike. It's very clearly laid out in front of you with the answer to what happened here. The puzzle's been solved, buddy. Just <laughs> look at the overall picture. Mike finds evidence that the miners who were abandoned were found and treated in the sanatorium, where the hospital did experiments on them and tracked their descent into becoming Wendigo. Oh, shit. He finds an old film reel that features one patient who is a human and is tied up to a chair who slowly starts to turn into a Wendigo and escapes from the chair. Oh, so you, fuck. you see his body transform and get long and skinny and cut his way out with his razor sharp arms and crawl on the ceiling, which is when you see anything crawling on the ceiling, bitch, that's a bad day. Yeah, no, that's just like the sign of a possession of some sort. Yeah, <laughs> classic horror possession. Unless you're Spider-Man. Yeah, that's the only time it's safe. <laughs> So it's clear, all laid out for fucking Mike since he can't figure it out. <laughs> all these miners that got trapped in the mines in the 50s resorted to cannibalism and they evolved into the big horde of Wendigo and they really evoked the curse and got the Wendigo on the mountain started. Okay. In the depths of the sanatorium, Mike and the wolf run into another Wendigo and they're totally just like, well, this is bad and <laughs> keeps happening. Right. And the Wendigo are clearly like, there's some movement here. They love movement. So they're like, all right, let's see what's going on. And how does the dog know to stay completely still? Probably um, by learning from other dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing the other ones get torn apart. Yeah. And you know, when you see a dog that can get nervous or on edge, they tend to just kind of have a stance. That's true. I mean, they growl and they're certainly not necessarily perfectly still, but dogs aren't ones for like, these, especially these big wolf dogs that are big predatory dogs, they're not ones for sporadic movement and shit. They're more stand your ground and growl and shit. That's fair. In the bowels of the sanitarium, there are a ton of Wendigo in cages. And as Mike is walking by, it's like that Silence of the Lambs scene where Clarice is walking through the oh. inmate row and they're like reaching out and screaming and shit. And they're all in the cages? Yeah. Oh, that's fucked up. Because again, the sanatorium got abandoned and a bunch of people got just trapped in there and shit. So some of these miners that didn't get out of their cage fucking just been hanging out being a Wendigo in a box. So they can't even starve to death. No. That's terrible. It's a fate worse than hell. Like, truly. One of the loose Wendigo comes after him and a few more start showing up. And Mike is like, this is a bad pattern. He finds an oil barrel, rolls it towards the fucking row of Wendigo, shoots at it, and creates a giant fire that releases all the Wendigo into death. Hell yeah. It's interesting because as this happens, we see what is visually the curse of the Wendigo leaving their body. (laughs) I know, right? It's pretty great. It's kind of like, oh, fuck, what's that Nicolas Cage where he's a biker with a flame Ghost head, Rider? Ghost Rider head kind of thing <laughs> coming out, but it's like flying. It's a little cheesy. Their but... evil souls get ejected from them. Yeah. We've watched Mike, though, make a very weird transition throughout this game from like fumbling, bumbling pretty boy mm-hmm. to badass action hero he went from chris evans and not another team movie to chris evans and the avengers very quickly he does and like i did not like him up until about this point and then he really becomes like the hero of the fucking game for me oh yeah and he's in a like a white tank top so he looks very diehard like to bring up diehard again yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah he's pretty badass from here on out it's really great yeah i really like him going forward 
that he's literally just trying to get his dick wet for the first <laughs> half of the game. He really is. So he kills a shitking Wendigo with his wolf friend, and he's like, hell yeah, buddy. But then he keeps getting chased by Wendigo, and they're running, and then, unfortunately, the Wendigo does eat his wolf friend. Yeah. And he's like, sorry, bud. Mike ends up getting cornered by a ton of Wendigo, but he's in a room where they keep a bunch of oil barrels. You know, that room? That one room, yeah. So he's like- The oil room. He goes full, all right, buddy, let's do this. Shoots it with a sawed-off shotgun, and the entire sanatorium goes up in flames, and he's thrown out of the building into the snow as all the souls of the Wendigo are released, and they're all killed, and everything's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's fucking cool, guys. Don't look at explosions. It's so good. But he got blown like 20 feet away. Oh, yeah. He's got three broken ribs. He's not okay. (laughs) (laughs) But he looked cool as shit. But it's one of the reasons what makes him such a badass in the end, too. Yeah, he's just like, fuck it, I'm 20, like, let's go. I can take it. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's 19, I'm sorry, it's even worse. Yeah. He can't even drink in the States, but he's doing shit like this, are you kidding me? <laughs> he can't rent a car. And now we can do an interesting cutback to our bitchy friend, Jessica. Wait, this one is the blonde one who fell down like in chapter three, right? Yeah, she gets the one that gets pulled through the door. Mike chases after her, sees her, and then she falls down a mine shaft. She's like, I don't give a fuck. We're going to have sex. Yeah. No. No. That didn't happen. So, okay. So she's been unconscious. Yeah, she's concussed. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) She wakes up in a mine shaft crying in pain and then she hears the sounds of the wendigo and remember she doesn't know what the fuck that is so she's like room full of nightmares nothing good is coming out of this but she's at least not dismissing it as josh playing a prank because she doesn't know about that either yeah she doesn't know josh died and came back to life yeah she's very (laughs) clueless about everything going on right now they all think she's dead yeah and then we cut away from her just to tease that she's fine So it's just like a momentary, like, just by the way, she's still alive. Yeah. In case you missed it. Okay. We haven't talked to her in about nine hours, but she's fine. So in the basement caverns, the whole gang is following Sam through some tunnels looking for Mike. Okay. Chris says he's in a lot of pain and tells the team to go on without him. Ashley is like, hey, dipshit, horror movie. Yeah. We're staying together. (laughs) Don't split up the group. No. They get to a door that should open to the sanatorium, but Mike locked it behind himself, so the gang is stuck, and they're like, what was was the plan, Mike? God damn it. (laughs) They find a sewer grate, and they're like, we're doing this, and they go into the tunnels to get into the super depths of connecting the sanatorium to the resort, because again, that's a fucking thing. You know, it's like the underground tunnels at Disneyland. Yeah. (laughs) That all connect and like have secret passageways so people can get through. Yeah. Oh, God. I guess, you know, when there's only one property, they're like, there's only one boiler. Like, fuck it, you know? It gets cold outside. We need to be able to move around indoors. That's true. And like, if you have guests that need to move back and forth and you're like, all right, let's send a doctor over. You don't need them to like... Go out in the snow and then walk in through the front door or whatever. You know? Or you want to like wheel a crazy person around without them like yeah. bothering the outside world. Yeah, <laughs> which is probably more accurate to yep. what happened. <laughs> one by one, they all start going down into the sewers. <sighs> Never a good idea. Safest place to go. They come up on a wall with this crazy fucked up ladder that's like broken and twisted. And they're like, 
cool, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and Sam goes, no, it's like a rock climbing wall. I got this, guys. I'm going to go save Mike. And the rest of them are like, yeah, that's fine. So Chris, Ashley, and Emily just leave her and like wander away while Sam is like, I'm going to scale the rock wall to save Mike. And they're like, bet. That's right. She's like a casual rock climber, isn't she? Nathan fucking Drake. Yeah, that's right. She like gets really into like rappelling and like doing all sorts of like extreme climbing. Yeah, the last hour is her just doing a crazy workout. (laughs) In the depths of the mines separately through these caves, we see an unconscious Josh thrown by a Wendigo. Oh, damn. We cut back to Sam who's climbing the wall like she's goddamn Nathan Drake. And she's getting through the mines, and the mines start collapsing. Not because she's big. This She looks like Hayden Panter. She's tiny, but, you know, it's probably just because the sanatorium has exploded <laughs> and is now on fire. Fair. So she's like, hey, there's something following me. And she picks up a pipe to protect herself. And then she just legit bumps into Mike. Oh, okay. Well, hey, that's who she's looking for. Yeah. And as she looks at Mike, she's like, hey, it's Mike. And he's being attacked by a Wendigo actively like as she bumped into him she he was getting attacked yeah he's like getting knocked over the wendigo is on fire but not dead yet so there's this terrifying fire demon on top of him trying to kill him and she uses her pipe to decapitate it awesome so that's really good timing on her part (laughs) yeah she got there right in the nick of time we see the spirit of the wendigo leave the body and they both look at each other they're like how you doing alive Cool. Weird night, huh? <laughs> good to see you. They keep running into each other. It's really right. great. It's good, too, because they never set these two up to try to be a couple. They never, no. like, try to make these two end up together. However, they are the two heroes of the story. They're not each other's type. Sam is too kind. Right. And she's not a Mike bitch. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I don't like pranks. And he's like, I don't like that you're nice to people. <laughs> It's really unattractive to me. Right. It's it's just a real turnoff how you're considerate. Right. I don't like it. All right. Are you ready? Why? Chapter 10. Oh, One hour. The final hour. The pieces are in place. Until dawn. We know who the bad guys are. Let's fuck some shit up. Dr. Hill is seemingly in the caves with Josh. Josh is sweating and scared and hyperventilating and grabbing himself and kind of rocking back and forth. Dr. Hill wonders if the sessions are any help to Josh anymore. Were they ever? I mean, (laughs) clearly didn't get too far. Here's where we are now. We can hear that there are Wendigo around them. Dr. Hill says, things are pretty fucked up and I'm leaving. (laughs) I would too. Josh curls up into a ball freaking out dr hill says deep breaths and then walks off screen and we see that josh is completely alone in the mines i mean when your imaginary friend gives up on you (laughs) (laughs) that's a really bad sign oh yeah that's not good no (laughs) he hears hannah's voice and he hears beth's voice and they are singing pharaoh jaca to him that's such a creepy song to sing. I know, and to have dead twins singing it, like yeah. it's the goddamn the shining. shining. Yeah. <laughs> Fully. He screams to get away, and he starts hearing the voices of Hannah saying that he should join them. He sees the decayed corpses of his sisters saying he's all alone, but he's with them now, and that they're his family. Then they start saying, Josh, why didn't you save us? 
Why did you want us to die? A Wendigo comes up to Josh and screams. It's so fucked up because, like, we are <sighs> seeing everything from Josh's perspective. And Ugh. he's an insane person. And yeah, and it, it occasionally cuts back to just him freaking out in the mines alone and then back into his POV of Hannah and Beth fully decayed zombies being like, why did you let us die? Yeah, he's hallucinating. He's also like flashing back into the real world and looking Ugh. around and seeing that he's in an actual horror movie of his own. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, he is just not in a good place mentally or physically. At all. And he got pistol whipped, like, not yeah. that long ago, so there's probably a bit of a concussion happening, too. Yep. Definitely concussed. Separately, Mike and Sam are in the mines together. They find a kind of shallow grave with some loose bones and Beth's watch, and they realize that they are standing over the final resting place of their friend. Yeah. They come up to some waist-deep water and wade through to the other side of the mines to hopefully find Josh. See, this is where I'm done if I was, like, in this situation. You're the like, I would not get into water. No, it's like that scene in Red Dead where it was the swamp scene where they had to, like, wade through the swamp of alligator-infested waters. Like, no, once you're at, like, waist-deep water, done. I'm not getting involved. Because if I can't see below my waist, mm -hmm. I'm not going to fucking do it. Yeah. I, I don't want to know what's down there, and that's the fear of not knowing is worse than the fear of anything else out there. Do you really think you would have survived to this point? Nope. Okay. Nope. <laughs> this, I, this well, is not yes. a hard hypothetical. Yes, because I would have stayed in that fucking room. The basement? Waiting for the goddamn <laughs> dawn to show up and been like, you know what? You guys go off and do your shit. I'm waiting right here. You'd have a like a timer being like, all right, two more hours, and yep. you take a breath, maybe- do some meditation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be me. I would go full Indiana Jones, like lock myself in a freezer and like, yeah. <laughs> no one can get in. I can hopefully get out. <laughs> yep. Just lock myself in a room until dawn and wait it out. Yep. All right. So instead, they're wading through the water. <laughs> Very good. But back on land, they find Hannah's journal. Oh, okay. Talking about how hungry she is and how she apologized to Beth and that she had no choice. So this was the journal that she was keeping while she was after the fall. Yeah. Okay. Which is horrifying. It is a horrifying journal. She apologizes to Beth in her journal and says it was the only way she could survive because she was so hungry. Yeah. She starts talking about how her nails were falling out, but she's getting stronger and she stopped feeling pain. And then as it goes on, the... Entries turn into scratches and unravel as she inevitably becomes a Wendigo. Yeah, it's fucking great how they like really show the progression of like her devolving into one. It's very similar to some of the diaries you find in The Last of Us when you see people that are infected. I'm yeah. thinking of there's a sequence in the Seattle hospital in Last of Us 2 where they talk about patient zero being like, they won't let me call my wife and then it turns into just more scribbles mm -hmm. and then there's just patient reports of like, this person turned into a fucking like mushroom headed monster. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's the Rat King. And <laughs> it's truly one of, on this point, one of the most horrifying things in video games ever. Right. Ugh, so good. So Sam is like, 
I think I can put together the mystery. Finally. (laughs) So Beth died. Hannah survived the fall, was starving in the mines, eventually dug up Beth, ate her, and became a Wendigo. And Mike is like, what? And you're like, yeah. That's obviously what happened We got there. (laughs) And they're like, we really need to find Josh because his sister's a monster. A literal monster. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not you, Josh, your sister. And they head back into the water for some god-awful reason. Horrifying. In the next cavern, they find bodies strung up and see a head fly off at them. A head just comes flying at them. Yeah, that's never good. No. And then through a part of the cavern, they find Josh alone screaming, you can't tell me what to do anymore. Right, because he's like still seeing his physician or whatever dr hill no dr hill dipped dr hill said this is fucked up and i'm out oh that's right no it's his sisters he's yelling at it's hannah and beth that are like join us josh and he's like ah so he's just yelling at his imaginary sisters during all of this yes well his one of his real sisters is a wendigo somewhere nearby right but he has not pieced that together at all he hasn't pieced anything together he is broken he doesn't even register that sam and mike are there that's true. And and he wasn't there for the explanation of the Wendigos anyway. No, he was tied up to a pillar outside. So poor guy. He's way out of the loop. He still thinks he killed Jess, you know? That's true, yeah. Mike slaps Josh across the face. And Sam is like, you're okay. Uh, Hannah was down here for weeks. I need the key to the cable car. So she's just like, can you deal with something else while I deal <laughs> with like the more prevalent thing? Josh is like, I have the key here. Gives it to Sam. So that was so easy. Like, should have done this a while ago. Sam now has the key to the cable car so everyone can escape. Thank God. Right. They find a way out of the mines because they can, like, see the light of the sky. But Josh can't climb that high because he's crazy fucked up. And Mike is like, I'll take him the long way. But Sam can go all hardcore parkour and run up the walls to get the key back to the group so they can at least get the cable car started. And, like, Josh is, like, devolving to, like, a child at this point. Yeah, he's, like, not making eye contact. He's not speaking in full sentences. He's fully just in a bad place. Yeah. Actually, at one point right here, he says, please don't hit me. I'm sad. Yeah. And Mike is like, I'm sorry. I thought you killed Jessica. My bad. (laughs) And Josh is like, I didn't try to kill her and he's like i know buddy it's okay (laughs) like then they start coddling him which is sweet but it's also like he did punch ashley in the face like they're like this guy's just so fucked up yeah there's there's some sympathy for like we all we did kind of kill his sister yeah he's like it might be our fault that he's fucked up but he's fucked up and sam on her high horse is like i had nothing to do with this I just have to fix it, apparently. Yeah. I was trying to find Hannah to warn her and stop this, but you dipshits. You fucking knuckleheads. Knuckleheads. They're in Canada. Knuckleheads. So Mike and Josh get back to the water area and start wading through when Mike is pulled under the surface. This is why you don't go wading through this fucking kind of water. I know this got under your skin. It got me under the water. (laughs) A Wendigo pops up out of the water and grabs Josh. Josh Pure is horror. picked up by the Wendigo and as he is, he recognizes a butterfly tattoo on its arm. Yep. And he just sees, oh, that's my sister. It's Hannah. Fucking cool. We cut back to Mike who somehow got away through the water and is hiding behind a rock because even as a Wendigo, Hannah could never harm Mike. 
Oh, really? After all this fucking time. He's the reason she's a Wendigo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like dead ass, we, it's confirmed to be Hannah. Right. She's may or may not be responsible for the deaths of her other friends, depending on how you play this game. Totally. And she, she has a very clear shot at fulfilling her bloodlust, but there's a sparkle of her that recognizes this is the boy I wanted to kiss. And again, that's kind of like at the end of I Am Legend when he sees the butterfly tattoo in that one, too. is kind of like, oh, Ugh. these used to be human. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucked. Elsewhere in the mines, we meet back up with Matt, who's alive. Matt, holy shit. You again, f- another character that you forget about because we haven't seen them in so long. Yeah, he was in the Firewatch Tower when it collapsed, and he's fine now, I guess. Yeah, I remember this one being like, eh, this feels like a cop-out. Yeah. <laughs> should have died he died in my playthrough he, d- he definitely died in my playthrough yeah <laughs> he got his head smashed i really don't think they expected many people to be able to save him and so they were like yeah. eh, we're not gonna give him anything else past this anyway this one's a, a rare one to find <laughs> he finds a lantern and as he turns around he is struck by jess by jess so like the two people we've forgotten about yeah have now teamed up find each other and she's like oh my god i'm so sorry i just saw a figure and thought you were gonna kill me and he's like nice to see you too <laughs> <sighs> they are both limping beat to shit it just looked like they went through hell completely terrible which is funny because they haven't either of them dealt with the serial killer Mm-hmm. Or with the Wendigos. Yeah. They have just dealt with collapses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Structural collapses. Yeah, Matt thinks that Josh was killed still. Yeah. So that's Oh my god. So that's as far as he got, and Jess is like, there's something really creepy on this mountain. And he's like, I know. And she goes, No, 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 no. Aside from that, uh, something grabbed me and ripped me around and threw me and shit. Because she got attacked by a Wendigo. Right, right. They wander through the mines together, and then a Wendigo starts following them. Creepy. They are able to hide and not move and let it pass. Jess is crazy hurt, limping like crazy. Because she's, again, been thrown around and fallen stories and stories. Yeah. But Matt rallies to get them out of the mines. As Jess limps away... A Wendigo shows up, and Matt busts through a wall into the outside of a mine shaft <laughs> to hide from the Wendigo, which is honestly really cool. Right. And they're able to evade the Wendigo that way, because somehow they're like instinctually, if we get out of its sight, <laughs> yeah, they we're know probably how th- fine. They know the rules of the Wendigo, having never actually learned about the Wendigo. <laughs> having nothing to do with anything entirely. <laughs> Sam elsewhere is scaling the walls of the mines to get to the cable car key back to the group, but it's literally like 6.30 a.m. at this point, so Baby Girl could have just avoided all of this by staying back at the lodge for like 45 minutes. Right. She's chased by Wendigo (laughs) and gets back to the lodge, and right behind her appears Mike. The gang isn't responding to her banging on the door, so Sam breaks her way in with a rock to get to safety. As she's running in, Mike tells Sam that the Wendigo got Josh, and they go to the basement to look for their friends. They run into Chris, Ashley, and Emily, 
who are all actively being chased by a few Wendigo from the basement. So they're all just running around the house being chased by Wendigos. Yeah, separately. <laughs> Everyone is being chased by Wendigo because they've all fucked up at some point. Like, I'm just imagining this group of people with their arms in the air. It's like one of those Scooby-Doo scenes where oh, they're entirely. running through the fucking hallways and shit like that, running door to door. It's great because Mike and Sam kind of run in the house and they close the door and they catch their breath. Yeah. And they're like, Okay, and then Emily, Ashley, and Chris tear ass and they go, ah! <laughs> just right by them. And they're like, oh, fuck me. Like, oh, it's not over. I know what's happening. <laughs> and they're all kind of running through the house and they end up in this front living area and they're all standing completely still. Sam joins last and comes in to see a big ass Wendigo hanging from the rafters on that top of that chandelier in the lodge. And Mike stares her dead in the eye and whispers, don't fucking move. <laughs> and this, it is like the Jurassic Park scene where the T-Rex is inside of the fucking atrium. It is right. a beautiful shot. It is horrifying. And it's all these people that you've been chasing and worked so hard to keep alive. Just a breaths away from being dead. <laughs> right. All trying to stand perfectly still so this thing doesn't kill them. And of course, the Wendigo that have been chasing them converge oh of course they do and the wendigos start fighting each other because they're the only things moving right they respond to movement and that includes each other yes <laughs> one wendigo is thrown into the fireplace which opens up the gas line and we see the gas start leaking into the great room mike clocks this and sees a light bulb which he could kind of adjust to make sure it flickers oh not like he had an idea no. <laughs> I mean, technically, but... And this is the coolest Mike is, truly. He, through eye contact with Sam, someone he has no chemistry with... Right. ...is like, the gas leak is happening. If I can break that light bulb and cause a spark with the wires, we can set the whole house on fire. And Sam is like, word. I can read your mind. I got you. Bet. Not his ex-girlfriend who he's dated forever with Emily, who has a 4.0 and won't shut the fuck up about. <laughs> it's Sam, the hero. So one by one, the Wendigo are fighting and each person kind of gets a chance to escape. So Chris leaves, Ashley leaves, Emily leaves. And it comes down to Sam and Mike who yeah. are in the lodge alone. And this is the sequence that I remember mm -hmm. the most as like, this is incredible gameplay. Because the Wendigo are coming up on you and they are breathing on your neck, staring you in the face, looking through you because you're not moving. And you have to let the controller sit there and not move. And it is truly the most sweat-inducing fucking panic attack gaming moment I've had in a long time. And this is the section that just stands out to me. And it's the longest don't move of oh, the game, too. It's like a couple in a row. Because yeah. they'll, they'll have a meltdown and then... Sam will run over to another area to buy Mike some time to go over and crush the light bulb and make sure the other groups that are alive have time to escape. So you have to do a distract and then not move. Yeah. Oh, it's so satisfying. Yeah, it's constantly distracting the wind to go so the other ones can escape. And yeah, it's really well done. So one by one, they all go out. Lastly, Mike crushes the light bulb, gets out. Sam kind of does her dance back to the edge of the house. And as she leaves, she hits the light switch. You say as she leaves. She's like sprinting out the door. That's true. She is. You know, she is running for fully. the door with a Wendigo at her back, like chasing her. Because really, that was her last option was just 
sprint. fucking go for the door. It's going to alert the Wendigos, but if you do this right, you'll win. That's true. I fully downplayed that. You this, really did. This bitch is bad. She is the coolest bitch in gaming. It wasn't like she was casually strolling out the door like, oh, I'm going to hit the light switch. She's like whistling and shit. Yeah. No, she is like, ah. She's running. She hits the switch. We see the light bulb spark as it tries to turn on, and that spark hits the gas. The gas fills the entire fucking house with fire. It goes all the way up. Ooh. Sam runs out and kind of flies out like bad bitches don't look at explosions. Yeah. We see the Wendigo spirit leave the house. And as Sam like hits the snow and all her friends are out in the snow, fucking Jessica and Matt have like stumbled up and they're like, what the fuck did you guys do? Why'd you blow up the house? Yeah. My <laughs> shit was in there. <laughs> and they're like, you guys are alive? We see a helicopter come into frame. Like right up over the mountains. Right up over the mountains. And the whole group sits outside in the snow, watching the lodge burn to the ground. And we hear a voiceover say, there are survivors. We're going to go pick them up. So it's like a like a helicopter pilot or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Which That's the rescue team. Yeah. This isn't where the game's over yet, though. <laughs> so over the ending credits and this will play out differently for however you played yeah each survivor is being interviewed by the rescue team mm -hmm. about what happened that night and their interviews vary based on some of the player choices you have like ashley can be very remorseful if she let chris die shit like that <laughs> and depending on who's dead some people have different reactions to like oh fucking i can't believe sam it. died trying to save us all yeah <laughs> whatever so yeah, as I was saying, like if you let everybody die, Sam and Mike make it to the very end regardless. Yes, but they can still die. They can in the still end. die in that final moment. Like I think like Mike sacrifices himself to distract a Wendigo so she can hit the switch, but like there's a part where she can't make it outside the door and yeah. still hits the switch, so she blows up. Like, yeah. Yeah, she can fuck it up. You can get eaten by Wendigo. Yeah. Entirely. There's a lot. She can actually hit the switch early and kill everyone in the house. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, she can sprint straight for the switch instead of distracting to let people out. So she right. can just be like, I'm out, bitches, and blow all her friends up. And be the only survivor. And be like, man, shit's crazy. <laughs> crazy how nature does that. I mean, her friends are idiots. She probably should have. Yeah. She's like, at least Emily. Yeah. <laughs> the world is probably better without Emily. <laughs> and her 4.0. 4.0, bitch. <laughs> Sam's interview, though, does encourage the forces to go into the mines. She's like, I know it's in the mines. I wish I didn't. I would give anything to not know it's in the mines. You'll find answers in the mines. Of course, the only person who is not in this ending cut of interviews is Josh. Right. What happened to Josh? In a post-credits scene, we are back down in the mines. A Wendigo is seen eating a body. Behind him, we see some flashlights down in the mines. The voiceover from those flashlights makes it sound like a search and rescue team following up on the mines from what Sam says. We see the Wendigo eating a body is Josh, who is partially turned into a Wendigo now. He jumps to attack the people with the flashlights, and the game is over. Oh, so the entire family got turned into Wendigos in the end. Well, the one got eaten. Oh, yeah, Beth just straight up broke her neck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she got eaten. But yeah. Yeah, and then the other two got turned to Wendigos. Yeah, but presumably Hannah brought Josh down. Josh lost his mind, started eating one of the corpses, and became a Wendigo in the mines with his sister. And they are now the Wendigo that haunt the mountain. 
Man, that game was just fucking crazy. Oh, it's so fucking good, though. They really managed to masterfully mix so many different genres of horror Mm -hmm. and so many different, like, references to horror movies without being blatant ripoffs. It was so incredibly well done. And again, I'm not a horror fan, but Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with enough horror franchises to respect this for what it did. Oh, absolutely. And it's clear that this was made by fans, to your point of paying homage to so many classic tropes and then evolving them so that they blend very well together. It's Mm -hmm. so good. And just the way you interact with the story feels so personal. The scares are genuine. Like, I'm not a big jump scare fan. I don't watch those movies that are just like, there's shit popping out. Like, that's not fun for me. No. Uh, I want to hear about a curse, and (laughs) I don't need anything jumping out and yelling, but this isn't super jump scary, but when you do get one, it feels earned. Yeah, And you're like, okay, I see you. I see what you did there. And they still do a lot of tropes. Like, we talked about a lot of the animals that show up in this game, and they use the animals to do a lot of jump scares as well. Yeah, the two people that you think are dead for most of it are Matt, who is the person of color, and Jess, who's the slut. And (laughs) (laughs) they typically don't last very long in horror movies. No, and clearly they did not expect them to last in anybody's games as they gave them nothing to do after their moments where they probably... (laughs) should have died (laughs) they truly like do not show up for like four or five hours (laughs) but emily the bitch gets to last forever and sam the cool girl who is not sexually driven final girl fucking great yep like the final girl should be she's such a good final girl too like her acting is she genuinely worked her ass off for this like there are a couple days where rami was like i just want to go home he definitely phoned it in on a couple scenes yeah chris had a couple days where he was like you know what just get the fucking take but (laughs) but hayden left it on the fucking soundstage like oh she's so good and the music is great. They did have an original single. Oh, did they? For this, yeah, called Oh Death, that <laughs> it's exactly what it sounds like. You know, there's some cool collectibles throughout the game that do have some spoilers and some insight into potential deaths of other characters. So I didn't want to bring that up because, again, I really encourage everyone to either check it out or play it because it's super accessible as long as you have a PlayStation. Because, again, this is a Sony exclusive. Yeah, very much so. The Quarry just came out that actually has Scream King. Oh, David Arquette's David in that. Arquette's That's in right. It. I really want to play The Quarry just because. like, Just because you love him? Yeah. And I, I, Ted I, mean, and I love this game. I, I think what they did with it was really fantastic. I do want to see their follow-up. Brenda's song, who I have a huge crush on, is in that. Oh, oh. she's great. She's so good in everything she's in. I yeah. love her. But, man, I am a super massive, super massive fan. And I'm happy <laughs> to see them doing things. They've done a bunch of other shorter games as well, so you can do quicker campaigns. There's some games that have interactive features that you can play with your friends Kind of like a Jackbox game where you play a little bit on your phone, a little bit on the TV together. Okay. There's some really innovative things that they've done with the hardware, and I'm so excited to see what they do on PS5 in the future, because clearly they know how to innovate on the hardware they've given. Oh, yeah. I mean, as I said, there was even a VR game on it, which... Yeah. That game was really fucked up in that, <laughs> as you were saying, you're on literally on rails. It's like this little roller coaster ride that you're on. You're shooting these little like pop guns at shit. Yeah. But you're inside the mind of Josh. Oh, it's called Rush of Blood. Yeah. And so Ugh. you're like inside Josh's mind and you're really going through the deterioration of Josh's mind throughout this thing as a roller coaster ride. And it's fucked up. Who 
asked for this? It, I don't know, but it was <laughs> so terrifying. You ultimately have to face off against a 40-foot Josh in the end. And, oh, my God. But it's him in the mask, and like oh. it's the horror version of him. And in VR, it's a 40-foot fucking being. So this thing, it genuinely feels like you're looking at something that large, which is insane, because that's not something you can see in real life. Pass. Yeah. <laughs> Hard pass. Hard fucking pass. Yeah, no, that was terrifying. I loved it, but it was terrifying. You know, good art evokes emotion. Yeah. And this is fucking art. This is where video games are art. This is this is my fucking flag I'll plant. I love this game. I highly suggest it. Even if you've listened to this episode with us, you will not have the same experience I described to you. True. Promise. Yeah. I really want to play through again just to see Mike and Matt fight after Emily picks a fight with them just to see what happens there because I didn't get that dialogue, but it exists. You can change the chapter titles to be different things based on some of your decisions. Really? Yeah, there's all kinds of crazy shit that you can just tweak here and there with slight variations on things. So truly, it is a unique experience every single time you pick up a controller and it is so satisfying and so scary without being cheesy. You buy into it, even though it feels a little like we're doing a murder mystery. Oh, no, there's supernatural shit. Like, yeah. And it, it comes co- out of nowhere at like the three quarters of the way through point. Yeah, it does take a turn. Like we didn't really talk about that pacing, but we are like, <laughs> Josh is a crazy person that has us all trapped on a mountain. And then they're like, oh, there's monsters. <laughs> they're cannibal monsters. Great. Hannah's still around and she's killing all of us except for Mike because she loves him flamethrower man's a good guy yeah (laughs) thanks yeah no this game was just fantastic i loved it Mm -hmm. definitely recommend it uh there's one point even that we never even mentioned there's some collectibles that once you collect them all it tells you like another part of the story entirely like as like a movie that's true pretty well done uh yeah no great game lots to discover i just play until dawn honestly yeah it's a good one and again Six hours, maybe six and a half if you're a completionist. Yeah. A lot shorter if you kill them off. (laughs) So have fun. All right, Goombas. I think that's everything we've got for you this week. Uh, Thanks for hanging with us. If you want to hang with us a little bit more, you can check out our website at theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. You can check out all of our social and email also in the show notes along with our URL if you just want to click straight through. If you are in Las Vegas from February 17th through 19th, 2023, give us a sweet high five. We will be at the Level Up Gaming Expo. And I'm going to eat some ice cream. And sign up for our Patreon. Oh, yes. <laughs> Have yourself some ice cream and sign up for our Patreon and come hang out with us. Get some cool DLC drops of the rest of the show between seasons and we can stay connected that way. It'll be really fun. Absolutely. All right. Until next time, this is Tom and Andrea reminding you guys, don't skip the cutscenes. And just don't be in a horror movie. Stay in the light, you guys. What the fuck? Don't split up the group. Don't split up the group. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye.